Flyover Politics Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. trial of President Trump is over. Where are we? I think we're in the midst of the storm. It's been a travesty. Just an absolute travesty. This is a rigged trial with with a pre-cooked outcome. The perfect call nonsense or the ridiculous, maddening arguments undertaken by the president and his lawyers and his allies. We've had a sham trial. What a sham. The sham trial. Sham trial. Not a real trial. And this wasn't a trial. This was a travesty. It's not a real trial and it's not a real exoneration. And it's a cover-up. The trial that wasn't really a trial will be over and we will no longer have to listen to it. The Senate can stop pretending. No documents and no witnesses. Not having witnesses is a hoax. Is it a GOP or is it a grand uh, party to cover up? This is a cover-up. The president has learned his lesson. Yeah. <laughs> no, he has not. No, he has not. He is going to do this again. If you basically can harness enough support, you can essentially bulldoze the Constitution. Steal the Constitution from the people. The Constitution no longer matters. President Trump is functionally a monarch at this point. The Constitution's been rewritten in the following way. A Democratic president is not allowed to name a Supreme Court justice in an election year. And a Republican president cannot be impeached in an election year. That's it. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 7th of February year of our Lord, 2020. Had to go early. Too much stuff with the acquittal, with the State of the Union, with Iowa. Yeah, gotta cover that stuff. Short liberal shit on the back end with the hodgepodge of stuff, but we had to cover this. Gotta pop a doggone monster it's gonna be a fired up podcast because there's a lot of stupid and you just heard it that was a kid on camera and then just a taste of the media but i thought after the last podcast i played all the gnashing of teeth oh no here's a supercut of the moment it's just like the election the moment they find out their plan to impeach a president on some bullshit didn't work here's our media betters the president's acquittal will be meaningless. Well, he will not be acquitted. You cannot be acquitted if you don't have a trial. This can't be a real acquittal. This trial is no vindication. In fact, it's a rush to a cover-up. There will be a permanent asterisk next to the acquittal of President Trump. People around the world are watching us going, this is what you want for the rest of the world? I mean, what a sad, sad moment. I think it's a sad day for the so-called Republican Party. You know, they're going to need to find their souls. Good luck to that. And Russia, if you're listening, 2020 is open for investigations. Elections may not have a fair result. 
The very charge goes to the fairness of our elections. This is going to be an enormous stain on the United States Senate. It's, it's actually quite scary. I think we're at a very scary moment. The Dershowitz argument, frankly, would unleash a monster. We have a constitutional monarchy where Donald Trump is the supreme element of this state, like North Korea. He's a functionally a monarch. He believes he's king. We are not supposed to have a king. That was the main thing, other than, you know, not wanting to have equal rights for women and black people and Native Americans. They have handed Donald Trump the, the monarchy. My fear is what broke is our democracy. I think the wounds are going to be very deep. That will be it for America as we've known it. It's official. Nothing means anything. Right is wrong, up is down, Missouri is Kansas. He can just run through laws like he's got that Super Mario invisibility star. That's what he can do. Today's acquittal does not equal an exoneration for the president who will remain impeached forever. But hey, since I just got done grocery shopping and I'm doing this a little later than usual because we hit some sales, this is like a BOGO. Because wait, there's more! president claims he has created millions of jobs since his election. Have a listen. Let's fact check. Since my election, we have created 7 million new jobs, 5 million more than government experts projected during the previous administration. Okay, John Howard, fact check that. That doesn't make much sense because the economy produced 8 million jobs in the last three years of President Obama's administration. Again, if you look at the trend lines, uh, uh, the unemployment rate's been falling uh, and job creation has continued. In fact, it's, uh, the economy has been growing since six months into Barack Obama's presidency. But in, in reality, job growth has slowed under President Trump. Not his yeah. fault. It's a very long expansion. You would expect that. Uh, but this is not a dramatic new development due to President yeah. Trump. Right. Yeah, got good numbers. Why, again, do you have to venture into to misleading territory there? Uh, another claim, Trump says thousands of factories have been built under his administration. Have a listen. We'll fact check that. After losing 60,000 factories under the previous two administrations, America has now gained 12,000 new factories under my administration. All right. 12,000 well, new factories. True. <laughs> Well, uh, the the establishments he is describing are not all factories. That could include uh, bakeries or a tailor shop, but mm -hmm. that is a positive development. The one thing the president doesn't mention, however, is that over the last year or so, his uh, trade policy has actually hurt manufacturing. We're in a manufacturing recession right now. Business investment mm. is also down. So in addition to claiming credit for things that began under President Obama, he, of course, uh, as you would expect, omitted ways in which he has damaged the economy over the last year or so since uh, applying those tariffs. When he spoke, he spoke about the oath he took to God. And yeah. and his his he is really a man of faith, and his his faith um, uh, had a lot to do um, with his inability just to brush it off and say, oh, well, it's politics. It would be politically bad for me to go against Trump. Why should I do that? He's going to get acquitted, acquitted anyhow. He had made a solemn oath, and he took that very seriously. And that's a rare thing. And if that's I, a rare thing. Garrett Haig, who came days. to know him, said that it was central 
to his life. And to who he was. A lot of the other 99 uh, insist that faith is central to their lives. Right. They were not so burdened uh, by the oath. It, it would the appear not... A very important historic chapter closes today with those two votes. Uh, but the debate over this, we're just now going into the next chapter, which is how does it play out in a presidential election year? How does it play out uh, with the president's mood? And we expect to hear from the president. His campaign says he has been totally vindicated. The House Speaker, of course, says you are impeached forever. Uh, that is the debate that will go on with the American people through this election year and beyond. And to, to Jeffrey's point and the point George was making earlier, uh, you know, the president has been acquitted by the United States Senate. Double jeopardy does not apply in politics. And so as the new revelations come out, whether it's the Bolton book, whether it's the new emails uh, or Vivian Salamo CNN reporting on today, that do shed new light on the controversies here. Uh, Nancy Pelosi in her house, Jerry Nadler saying today, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, they're going to subpoena John Bolton. That's risky for the Democrats. It is risky because it's T-ball for Trump politically to say this is gratuitous, this is all political. But, but it's also risky for all these senators who just voted on the president's side, as this new information comes out. So you're, we should pause and reflect on the history of today. In the context of impeachment, this is over, but it's not over. Absolutely not. Uh, and, and Laura Coates, uh, Hillary Clinton just did a tweet. As the president's impeachment trial began, Republican senators pledged an oath to defend the Constitution. Today, 52 of them voted to betray that oath, and all of us were entering dangerous territory for our democracy, Hillary Clinton writes. It'll take all of us working together to restore it. So we're, this is not the end of it. If we're wondering what President Trump's response yeah. is going to be, you might remember last year somebody created that meme on Twitter of uh, President Trump running for re-election re not only in 2024, but 2028, 2032, 2024. <laughs> like he, he, and it goes on forever. There it is. Here it is. And this is what President Trump just tweeted again the moment mm -hmm. that he's acquitted. He's retweeting this meme, this tweeting this meme of President Trump not only winning, winning re-election in 2024, but forever, Trumpism forever. Right. So if, you, if anybody would think yeah. that he's been chastened or humbled but at not being at the only, only right. the third president in history and the only one to have uh, had votes for removal that were bipartisan, well, it's quite the Yeah, country. and what does this mean for his behavior, right? Does like he... Yeah. Well, yeah. But, 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 Wolf, uh, one of the things that Mitt Romney did today, besides uh, showing to many Americans uh, that this was a profile in courage and that there's still room for mavericks, uh, here in Washington, he did rob the Republicans, did rob the president of a key talking point. They have been saying all along that this was a partisan impeachment exercise. That is obviously no longer the case, given what Mitt Romney did today. And the Senate's decision not to have live witnesses, I think, will haunt the Senate for years. Adam Schiff, likewise, in his closing arguments, which I think will go down in history as a speech to be studied for, for generations, his demeanor as well as his words spoke volumes. So to me, the Senate needed to make the decision to bring live people before the chamber, either depositions videotaped or actually before the Senate itself. Number one. Number two, the, the Clinton impeachment trial began with a caucus of 100, hopefully. There was no such uh, bipartisanship at any point during this trial. I know I'm being naive here in hoping, just hoping at some point, that there will be another caucus of 100 as senators look at what they've been through and what they have or have not contributed to public civility and decide that we can do better. The Senate can do better. The Senate must do better. This country needs it.
I never understood why the senators would not have said, hold on a second. I don't know how I'm going to ultimately vote, but if somebody from Congress sends you a subpoena, you better take heed to respect it as opposed to say, you know what, we're going to have to argue whether it's valid. I don't understand that wholesale defiance, number one. Number two, I thought it was a much easier sell to do the obstruction based on having to prove the number zero. That's what was handed over. Zero documents, zero witnesses. Yeah, the transcript. That's pretty clutton. That's the transcript. Well, I'm not sure what you're referencing. You mean the call-out that was not oh. verbatim? That's not called a transcript. It's called actually a readout. But I'll finish A readout, transcript, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, that's no, that's it's, the only documentation it's, no, no, that No, no, it's not. Well, sure, I could also hand you a bag of oranges and tell you it's responsive. If it's not what you asked for, it doesn't count, Rick. So, so, you, so, that, so that readout didn't count. No, no. What I'm telling you is that you would like to confine this. Well, you said zero. Well, that, is my voice offend you? I'd like to no, finish but, my but point. No, but, but uh, I'm, I'm saying the same point. to you. My point, well, my point is this. When they were asked the questions about providing documentation, providing things responsive to a subpoena, providing witnesses, the idea of wholesale defying and saying, no, you've got to battle it out, will have repercussions to a branch of government that wants to say nobody is above the law. Imagine you yourself getting a subpoena at this point in time and saying, you know what, prosecutor or police officers, no, how about that? You would like that not to happen. So in this respect, well, hold on. Congress you cannot, you cannot equate an individual getting a subpoena to the president of the United States who who has constitutional protections and the, you know and, what? And, and that he has, has every right to assert. I agree that the president is in a different position than the average And why did you equate it to me? Because the president actually has a higher burden as being the part of the executive branch whose job it is to enforce the law than, say, the average person. That's just not true. I'm a federal prosecutor. That's just not true. I would, I would laugh at anybody who would say, no, I don't have to respond right, to Jeffrey, but that's Yeah, those, those, you know, let me ask you a question. Did they, did they have to put their hands in the Bible when they took the vow? I don't know if they had a Bible out there, but I think that uh, they, they had the Bible up on the podium. Why do you ask? Well, because they're going to burn in hell if they put their hand in that Bible. <laughs> <laughs> I should have known you I don't want to be saying none of them guys because they're going to be struck by lightning. And history will say they were on the wrong side of history, the wrong side. The wrong side. So we, everybody, you got to get. Here's the thing. I'm not speaking for anybody but myself. Where whoever, this is me speaking. Everybody, whoever comes out of the Democratic convention, I'm voting for, because we cannot have another four years of Agent Orange. All right, Spike Lee. Every, one last thing, Red, One last thing. I promise. I'm very short. Every night, if I go to bed, I think about Agent Orange has the nuclear code. Wow. Hopefully it gave the wrong number. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right, right Rev. Love love it's like I said, that they pushed for this. I started a segment that said media pushing and impeachment 200 times. I mean, we played it. Oh, my God. Leader McConnell, I think, had the, the most adult thing that I could pull out of all this. And it's not because I'm conservative. It's not because I'm a Trumper, because I'm not. But but he's right. Moments like this are what the Senate was made for. The framers knew the country would need a firewall to keep partisan flames from scorching our republic. So they created the Senate. Today we will fulfill the founding purpose. And that's what it was. They weren't even close to two-thirds. But you'll hear in a second, because of the one defection, oh my God, it's not, it is no longer a partisan thing. Trump being the troll that he is, uh, Jim Acosta, 
Dear Diary, acquitted, and now back to his trolling that he'll be never leave office, and he put on 2024, 28, 32. It's a fucking joke. Time Magazine did that. Time Magazine made the cover because they're like you, Jim Acosta, hacktivists, a hack and an activist mixed together, and you're saying he's never going to leave office. You've been saying that. But you also said that he wouldn't trust the outcome of the 2016 election, and you guys are the ones that didn't. Bet Midler, I got some, a lot of screeching, sorry, gotta read these. He pinned this, you think it's a joke, don't you? It's not, he means it. He would change the rules and his enablers will let him, if he wins again, he will rule you until he dies, you die, and then they'll get in Vanka. It's like, what does that lady do all day, just sit and read Trump tweets? I know that's what Brian Seltzer does, but... Get a fucking life. People's responses, I'm seriously worried about you because you're likely tweeting this from your Malibu mansion while you look at dolphins. Your portfolio goes up and your cleaning lady dusts your plants. If you want to take action, fine. Go volunteer, I promise you. It helps with despair. Aaron Rupar, the journalist. I just did air quotes. Trump responds to acquittal by cheesing that he intends to shred the Constitution. Somebody said, very common rational responses on this site today. I mean, it was just a bunch of... Waji Ali, yeah, that was the guy that mocked you, that you live in the center of the country and you can't speak, and yeah, the, the Don Lemon shit. Totally a tweet by a democratically elected president, not a wannabe authoritarian. Don't take him literally or seriously. Let's both sides of this to the end of our democracy, please. That being said, you know who was never an impeached president? Barack Obama, black man. Yeah, because everybody's racist. Yeah, we got it. That's what you, you, it's your whole journalistic cred. Scott Dorkin, uh, he lost it. 52 GOP senators just committed treason, voting not guilty for the crimes Trump committed. Majority of the American people, a majority of Congress and the U.S. government found Trump guilty. This trial was a sham, but Trump is still in peace forever. We'll get to it. It's Vox. We're, yeah, we're doing the popular vote concept. Even though popular vote didn't have it, what, I don't know. I don't think they know what the Constitution says. Rashida Tlaib, it's worse than letting a criminal off. Their vote created a dictatorship. Somebody said the person who recently pledged to stop spreading fake news has an important update. <laughs> Mark Noller, will there be a handshake? Pelosi on the dais of the National Prayer Breakfast. The president usually shakes everyone's hand and he takes a seat. President Trump only shook hands with those on his side of the dais. Speaker Pelosi was seated on the other side of the dais. And POTUS didn't walk down to greet the, these dignitaries. He sat quietly and Pelosi delivered a prayer for the poor and persecuted. Taking his seat at the National Prayer Breakfast, President Trump holds up USA Today banner, acquitted. He also helps the Washington Post with a similar front page. President seems pleased with his addition to Washington Post, held up as he took seat at the National Prayer Breakfast. You know, you deserve it. Do I think it's presidential? No. But do you deserve it? Fuck yeah, you do. You did a partisan bullshit thing. You've accused him of everything. And you played this game. This is, once again, a journalist. Lauren O'Donnell. Lawrence O'Donnell. The 48 senators who found Trump guilty represent 18 million more people than the 52 who voted not guilty. That's their play. How is this counting Alabama, uh, Alabama Arizona, Colorado, Maine, Montana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Utah, and Wisconsin, where the two senators voted differently. Trump was impeached according to popular vote count. Ed Schultz wouldn't have said shit like this, but they did because he got it from Vox. The Federalists, protesters attempted to reach senators by screaming through a conduit. Yeah, it sounded like this. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. 
I mean, remember, we we ran whole fucking elections off what a conservative said, and then we talked about Trump's violent speech, even when a Democrat, Bernie supporter, shot up a baseball field. It was still Trump's fault. Yet we ignore everybody getting the shit beat out of them because they're wearing a mega hat. And then every week we have people coming on TV about the rubes, uneducated, morons that vote for Trump. And they're violent people with their goddamn guns and Christianity. Those God people, they're dangerous. You got motherfuckers screaming in a heating conduit. And I play the cut, but there's a Trump protester there. He's being told to get the fuck out of there. I don't think it's like the police on the side of Democrats. I think it's they're scared that he's going to get fucking beat down. Because this is what the rest of them, with Antifa, these are the protesters. Now remember, I got all these from Twitter, because Twitter puts up every protest the left does. There's not going to be a Twitter moment about the guys who try to stop Virginia from taking Every right of a gun owner, oh, and by the way, also taking away the right to criticize the people taking your rights to take your guns. Yeah, we talk about that. Our live birth abortions. Those things aren't there. But we had thousands gather to protest acquittal. And I'm going to tell you, I didn't see thousands. Didn't see it. But once again, we, we still bash Trump for the crowd size thing from day one. And every time there's a liberal protest, it's thousands, it's millions, it's tens of thousands. It's always inflated, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's right. We reject the cover-up.
are dangerous people, but when we get to Iowa today, it's you racist motherfuckers. That's the reason why the Democrats couldn't run a goddamn caucus. They couldn't do a vote because of racist and systemic racism. And, and, and a liberal thing, uh, Warren's going to say it's racism that's making all the black people leave her campaign. It's because of racism. You rubes, you violent gun owners. So, the one person who defected was Romney. You expect it because there's a tweet in here. Literally, the only two people that have stepped away from the Republican Party are people that pissed that they didn't win president, but Trump did. And that's McCain and Romney. McCain, who literally campaigned on the promise to repeal Obamacare and support the border, and then he went, and because he doesn't like Trump, because he said something bad about him, tossed his goddamn principles out, and didn't and voted with the Democrats. And then you have Romney, who tried to act on there that he's crying, because it was such a moral decision I had to fucking do. So, here's the media talking about Hero Romney. This was a moment that people who've known Mitt Romney for a long time have always thought he was capable of, but we haven't always seen, right? Nobody's won big money betting on Mitt Romney to take big, bold public stands away from his own political self-interest. That's not been something that he has done throughout the course of his career. But as long as I've known him and covered him and known his family, the thought has been that he's a, just a good, decent person deep down with, inside. And I have thought from the minute that the senators took the oath and watching the senators take the oath that swearing an oath before God for Mitt Romney is like unlocking his superpower. I mean, there's no one in that chamber who was going to take that oath more seriously and more personally. 
Mitt Romney, of course, the former Republican nominee, in the moment as he was speaking, it felt historic indeed. It will cement Senator Romney's legacy and stain what the White House was no doubt hoping would be a clean party line acquittal today, despite the party's refusal to hear from witnesses or admit new documents into evidence. Democrats are taking pains to draw a distinction likely to become a refrain in the coming weeks and months that today's acquittal does not equal an exoneration for the president who will remain impeached forever. The two appeared to make amends when Romney was rumored to be in the running to be Trump's secretary of state, a job Romney didn't get. Two years later, winning a Senate seat. Tonight, voting his conscience over his party. With my vote, I will tell my children and their children that I did my duty to the best of my ability, believing that my country expected it of me. Tonight, Republican Senate leader Mitch McConnell says he was surprised and disappointed by Romney's vote. The president's son demanding that Romney be expelled from the Republican Party. That's unlikely here, but Romney did acknowledge himself that his vote could have consequences. Lester. All right. Casey Hunt, thank you. Let's bring in Chuck Todd now. Chuck, put in perspective for us the president's acquittal and Senator Romney's vote to convict. Well, look, the one thing we have to understand about this entire impeachment saga is that it is going to be a seminal moment and a seminal period in American history. But politically, short term, it may not have much of an impact, may could help uh, short-term the president, could help rally political bases. I do think it is a long-term impact. It is down the road that this will have potentially huge consequences. Whether the president wins re-election or not will have huge consequences. The Mitt Romney decision is a fascinating one for this reason. He is now the president of the Republican resistance to Donald Trump. Right now he stands alone. The question will be, will he be standing alone a year from now? Yeah, they said that stuff. Like, we don't remember the five media attacks on Romney, his wealth, comments out of context. I want individuals to have their own insurance. It means insurance companies have the incentive to help you keep you healthy. It also means you don't like what they do. You can fire them. I like being able to fire people who provide services to me. If someone doesn't give me a good service that I need, I want to say I'm going to get rid of somebody. Or how the Romney was doing an interview on CNN and said, I'm in this race because I care about Americans. I'm not concerned about the very poor. We have safety net there. If it needs repair, I'll fix it. I'm not concerned about the very rich. They're doing just fine. I'm concerned about the very heart of America. The 90 to 95% of Americans right now are struggling, and I'll continue to take that message across the nation. Liberal media headline, Mitt Romney doesn't care about poor and black people. There's a a litany. I I could go on. Flip-flopping versus evolving, job creation, lack of transparency, even though he released 10 years of his fucking taxes. And they forget there's the Wayback Machine. I can literally do a thing called Google, and as long as you get past the first couple pages about how he's a hero now, I can pick up a nice little mix of fucking Mitt Romney's a racist devil. Look, Anderson, it it was very unfortunate for Governor Romney because it sort of raises this question, um, can he relate to working women? You know, um, it made it sound almost like working women are some mail-order products you can uh, order out of colored binders. And, you know, there's so many directions you can go. What, What did the tabs in that binder say for each of the women, you know? 
This is the kind of man that Mitt Romney is. This man does not have a soul. If you open up, you know, his 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 chest is probably a gold ticking watch in there, and not even a heart. <laughs> this is not a person. This is just a robot who will do whatever it takes, whatever he's told to do, to make it to the White House, and he will take whatever pushing it back from whatever nasty person is pushing him and move him further further in that direction. That is the person who we are putting up against Barack Obama. And instead, what the press should be focused on is what are the consequences of repeal of Obamacare? And the consequences, as Mike just indicated, are death. Repeal equals death. People will die in the United States if Obamacare is repealed. That is not an exaggeration. That is not crying fire. It's a simple fact. They need to move on to a debate about the main issue, which is Obamacare. And they can bring death into the conversation and say, no, we're not calling uh, Mitt Romney a murderer. What we are saying is that if he's elected president, a lot of people will die. Tonight on World News, campaign curveball Mitt Romney's high school classmates accuse him of bullying a vulnerable student. How does the candidate respond tonight? Good evening. As we begin, there is a surprising turn of events on the campaign trail. Presidential candidate Mitt Romney accused of bullying a very vulnerable fellow student when he was in high school. We're not talking ancient history. This was just seven years ago. His former manager, Rick Gorka, I believe Mitt Romney is motivated by bitterness and jealousy that real Donald Trump accomplished what he has failed to do multiple times. His desire to pander to the chattering class has gotten the best of him. He's right. Will Chamberlain, amazing when you think about it that the two most disloyal Republican senators in the last five years were former Republican nominees. Kimberly Strassel, Mitt Romney may think he's taken shot at POTUS, but any real damage he caused will in fact be Senate R's and tough races. Schumer's goal with all this was retaking the Senate. If he succeeds, hopefully remember to send Romney a thank you. And then there's Mitch. This is what Mitch said about Romney. Yeah. How long is this Senator Romney going to be in the doghouse? <laughs> <laughs> we, don't, we don't have any doghouses here. The most important vote is the next vote. He's fucked. He's fucked his own state. I read tweets. People are pissed. They're fucking pissed. Totally. And then we get where they got all this fucking stuff. Vox. We are heading towards a future where the Senate will routinely feature a majority that represents far la- less than half the nation, warns Ian Milheiser. The 48 senators who voted to remove Trump represent 53% of the nation. Trump being acquitted by the Senate was even less democratic than you think. From his article, the reality, though, is the only reason a majority of the Senate voted to keep Trump in office is that the body is configured in a way that systematically advantages Republicans. Oh, really? The blue states of California has 68 times as many people as the red state of Wyoming, for example, but both states still receive two senators. Democrats actually control a majority of the Senate seats, 26-24, representing the most populous half of the states. Republicans own the majority of the Senate as a whole to their 29-21 lead in the least populous half of the states. This means that overall, the current Republican Senate majority represents 15 million fewer people than the Democratic minority. And that's where they came up with it. Everybody ran with it. Now we're doing electoral college again. But the positives, they're going to start a new investigation. They asked the Secret Service for fucking Hunter Biden's, Biden's fucking travel schedule. Because the reason they're doing that is nothing has changed. 
All right, nothing has changed. House Speaker Pelosi in morning press conference said Democrats will investigate other cases. And on our, this is America on the back end. She even says worse. Her and Hirano, uh, yeah, he's not acquitted. Because they're playing the electoral college means nothing. This whole setup is all bullshit. So for some stuff that just will crack you up, when the media couldn't get their shit, they then went with two ways of arguments. Number one, he didn't apologize, and why won't you censure him? This is from Chuck Todd. You knew it was coming. You need to censure him. The Senate should censure him. Why are they not censuring him? Uh, you know, I took note of some of the things that the president said about his opponents and uh, sleazebags, leakers, liars, stone cold crazy, loathsome, dirty cops compared to his supporters who he called warriors. If we thought somehow that the 90 seconds where Bill Clinton came out and apologized after he was acquitted on articles of impeachment might in any way be reflected today, well, we were sorely mistaken. Although I don't know anybody actually thought that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, that's kind of quaint, right? I mean, we, yeah. we, we knew that we knew that it wouldn't be uh, Bill Clinton apologizing for what he had done, taking uh, responsibility for it, but also really sort of remarkably in hindsight, apologizing for what he'd put the country through, what he had put the Republican Congress through. Yeah. Now, was, this is about what yeah, he's right. been put through. It's the exact right. opposite. I mean, it is the exact opposite, and it was an hour long, roughly, um, as, as opposed to 90 seconds. It is a, it, I thought that the, the Trump speech here is really a pretty perfect encapsulation of the way he sees his presidency, the way he sees the world, uh, and a preview of, of what's to come for the next year, the next five, if, if he's reelected. It is always us against them, me against uh, anybody who he is perceived to have done uh, him wrong. And you saw him lining that up today. It was trench warfare. All, all the people who had been in the trenches with him and whom he thought had done a good job, he, he singled out by name, uh, lavished praise on them. Everyone starting, you know, with, with Peter Strzok and going all the way through, uh, even, you know, even Colonel Vindman, right? Everybody got name checked. Uh, who he perceives to to be an enemy or have been an enemy, and that is that that's what he he thinks this was about, uh, and it's how he will proceed from here. The hour-long, largely unscripted performance was a stark contrast to Bill Clinton's less than two-minute-long speech after his acquittal in 1999. I want to say again to the American people how profoundly sorry I am. Today was about presidential payback, aimed at Mr. Trump's political opponents. It wasn't the first time today the president attacked the only Republican who joined Democrats voting to remove him, earlier shattering the bipartisan tradition of the National Prayer Breakfast, with swipes at both Romney and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. I don't like people who use their faith as justification for doing what they know is wrong. Nor do I like people who say, I pray for you, when they know that that's not so. For some perspective, I want to play some of Bill Clinton's acquittal speech from 1999 with some of today's from President Trump. Let's listen to that. Now that the Senate has fulfilled its constitutional responsibility, bringing this process to a conclusion, I want to say again to the American people, 
how profoundly sorry I am for what I said and did to trigger these events and the great burden they have imposed on the Congress and on the American people. But a tremendous thing was done over the last number of months, but really if you go back to it over the last number of years, we had the witch hunt. It started from the day we came down the elevator, myself and our future First Lady who's with us right now. Thank you, Melania. I also am humbled and very grateful for the support and the prayers I have received from millions of Americans over this past year. Now I ask all Americans, and I hope all Americans, here in Washington and throughout our land, will rededicate ourselves to the work of serving our nation and building our future together. Uh, we've been going through this now for over three years. Uh, it was evil. It was corrupt. It was dirty cops. Uh, it was leakers and liars. And this should never, ever happen to another president, ever. Ask you this: What do you want to see accomplished today? We we seem to be in a situation where the shouting is over, but you have to finish the trial. Right. I think, Chuck, we have to find a way in this trial and in the days after this trial to try to reestablish for the American people a standard of what our expectation is of our elected leadership in Washington. We are, we are in a moment in our, in our country's history when we're in a constitutional crisis. The president has completely stonewalled the House of Representatives, and Mitch McConnell is covering up what the president has done. They're going to get out of this trial because they're having a trial with no witnesses and with no evidence, no other a court in America could get away with such a thing, and it's unfortunate, but in the days ahead, we're going to have to keep this issue in front of the American people so they really understand what's at stake, and the more stuff comes out, the easier that's going to be, able, easier that's going to, be to do. Um, I think I'm up to about a half dozen Republicans who have said what the president did in some form was wrong. Uh, in some form, they believe the entire case the Democrats made, whether it's Jerry Moran and Kansas, Lamar Alexander uh, explained, I think, his vote the most in Tennessee, Marco Rubio in Florida. Obviously, Mitt Romney and Susan Collins have, 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 have voted a certain way. My point is this. There's a majority of the United States Senate that is uncomfortable with the president's sure. actions in some form or another. Is, it, is that something you should formally um, essentially put on the record via censure? I think if we can, we should. I mean, again, these these folks who are saying now that what the president did was wrong should have voted for witnesses and should have voted for evidence. That raises a question for John. This breathtaking takeover of the Republican Party by a person who just a few years ago was a Democrat and who in many ways repudiates much of the of the orthodoxy and gospel of the Republican Party over the past 25 years. Now he owns it, as Cecilia says. So who's going to go out on a limb and... and and do what we're talking about. Which Republicans out there are willing to take this to the public and, and to the official record for history? What he did was wrong. What he did uh, was inappropriate, and I want to state that on the record. We're talking about uh, something that the president has done that warrants conviction and removal from office versus something he's done that's wrong 
but doesn't deserve that punishment. That sounds like a case for censure in a normal Senate, maybe. You hear any whispers of anything like that, that senators are saying, well, you know, let's, let's lay it on the record in a formal way. Let's have a censure of the president for this conduct. It certainly is something that, that has become a topic of conversation here right now. It's not clear if they're really going to go ahead and take that step, but they certainly are looking for some way, right, to voice their displeasure. I keep telling you, it's the media that wants this stuff. The media is coaching these motherfuckers more than fucking Nancy Pelosi is. Then we have two positives I'll play back to back. Kevin McCarthy sends brutal message to Pelosi she can never ignore. Trump will be acquitted for life. And Van Jones, a short clip, of all the people I heard, he at least is starting to get it. I think the, the last 24 hours have been a big wake-up call for Democrats. That's what I think. Um, the Iowa caucus was a debacle. Uh, and this was a very strong speech. The president's going to be acquitted for life. Nancy Pelosi needs to know that. Um, but what it really is happening right now, you're going to see a, a real change in the Democratic Party. There are two internal civil wars going on. There's many Democrats in the House that are telling me they're very upset with the Speaker and with Adam Schiff because how the Speaker handled this. She jumped too soon. She did not. She was not fair in the process. Um, and she changed the message every single week. Now with Adam Schiff. They're very frustrated because they watched that they was all that they, he was lied to to actually take it from judiciary. He said he had a whistleblower. He didn't even tell the Democratic members that he had met with that whistleblower before. It, it was the fruit of the poisonous tree. From the very beginning, he started it. He failed from the very beginning based upon his own lies. And they see it. So now it's his internal civil war that members are going to lose their seat, possibly lose the majority over this. So from now on, instead of playing music, unless I have a good song I want to play, when we go in between segments, I'm going to play a soundbite like that doesn't fit on the podcast. So today, I have a college soundbite of a college campus trying to fix anti-Semitism, and they are broken up by anti-Semites, Democrats. It's a perfect soundbite. And then you'll come into the first of many soundbites on the State of the Union, which the media, oh, they just didn't like it. But did you think they would? Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. 
obviously the surprise Medal of Freedom uh, that the First Lady bestowed upon Rush Limbaugh, uh, where he seemed rather shocked. I mean, this really is a true and full embrace of who this president is, which is somebody from the world uh, of reality television, where he was trying to have these moments uh, for the American people uh, to experience. And, uh, and, and it worked on a lot of people. I'm sure it will resonate with a lot of Americans out there. Well, I mean, it's just, I thought the whole evening, uh, with a few exceptions, like the Tuskegee Airmen and, and, uh, and the soldier returning from Afghanistan, I thought the whole evening was, was pretty partisan on both sides. Uh, President Trump gave a speech that was really not aimed in, in, for most of it, on uniting the room or uniting the country. Uh, it was aimed at appealing to conservatives with red meat uh, Republican issues. Uh, it included some things that were just not true. He said at one point, um, I've also made an ironclad pledge to American families. We will always protect patients with pre-existing conditions. That's a guarantee. That's just not factual. I mean, his administration has supported uh, getting rid of those pre-existing conditions. In fact, now, look, the challenge to the White House is those were really poignant moments that came. I don't know if you saw them, but you should go online and look. And I'm going to talk to you about it more later on. The president in that speech tonight celebrated what this country is about for one set of moments, our diversity, how we overcome, how we come together. But is that what he's really about? And is that for them something for them to use as a sword and a shield? I don't know. In your estimation, is that the America that this president celebrates by what he says and does on a regular basis? The reunions, the <laughs> cancer research, you know, the overcoming American ideals that we saw tonight? Tonight, Chris was entertaining. Uh, this president had a great use, a really good use, actually, of people to show his examples. But instead of doing it tonight, why not every day? Uh, tonight, it felt like Oprah Winfrey when she said, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car, or Ellen giving out books or something uh, on her talk show. It seemed like every time someone popped up, some, they were getting something. They were either getting uh, a chance at a school of their choice, mm -hmm. um, a, a gold star, and Rush Limbaugh. Uh, someone who is a birther received the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And I watched Twitter and people were very upset. Um, and does this all equate to the president's inclusive society? Well, this president is trying to win the Oval Office for a second. And so the American people and the oldest constitutional republic in the world will have to decide, do we want to have at the head of our country a president or do we want to have a king? Do we want to have an emperor? Do we want to have somebody who sits above the law? Do we want to have somebody who is unaccountable to the institutions that from the beginning of the country have said that no institution, no person in the country is above the law? That's what we fought a revolution for. And so there's a fundamental question that now sits on the table 11 months before an election, but make no, no mistake, at the, at, the, at the aftermath of this, when he is acquitted, there will never, ever have been an American president with the power that Donald Trump possesses right now in this moment. Not FDR in the Second World War, not Lincoln in the Civil War. No president is as powerful as Donald John Trump in this hour as we get ready to see his acquittal play out. And, um, and I think that...
he is a master marketer mm-hmm. and and he understands as mark twain said that a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth can get its boots on yeah. and it, it's one thing to lie in in tweets and that you know that people are absorbing them at different times and go through the news cycle it can be but when you're doing it repeatedly in real time and part of it is Goebbels the big lie mm-hmm. if you're saying that you're protecting people with pre-existing conditions when you're in court right. trying to strip them of those protections at the same moment that's not just a lie that's a big lie and what i think is scary for a lot of democrats is he's going to run a big lie campaign all the way to the election and on a certain level unfortunately lying works people have busy lives they can't go to the fact checks and find everything out what what's really true and so i'm 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 this speech worried me and i think you are going to see him get a bump in the Hard to put how unusual this was uh, from the Speaker of the House ending by uh, pointedly ripping up the text of the speech to the president here engaging for the second time the chief justice who is sitting as judge at his impeachment trial, which continues tomorrow to the Republican chant of four more years prior to the start of the speech. The dark parts were dark. The bizarre parts were bizarre down to the awarding of the Medal of Freedom to Rush Limbaugh by the First Lady during the speech, which at so many points differed from the truth. There were a few dramatic moments um, beyond just the bizarreness. Signing the tie here would be one of them. Um, But the awarding of the Presidential Medal of Freedom to talk radio host Rush Limbaugh, not only announcing that he would receive it, but instead of doing it in the East Room with the ceremony and the president awarding it, having the president's wife, the first lady, pin it on right there in the audience was just uh, was was an unusual um, unusual thing to say the least. But- Hard to put how unusual this was uh, from the Speaker of the House ending by uh, pointedly ripping up the text of the speech to the president here engaging for the second time the Chief Justice who is sitting as judge at his impeachment trial, which continues tomorrow, to the Republican chant of four more years prior to the start of the speech. The dark parts were dark, the bizarre parts were bizarre, down to the awarding of the Medal of Freedom to Rush Limbaugh by the First Lady during the speech, which at so many points differed from the truth. There were a few dramatic moments um, beyond just the bizarreness, signing the tie here would be one of them, Um, but the awarding of the Presidential Medal of Freedom to talk radio host Rush Limbaugh, not only announcing that he would receive it, but instead of doing it in the East Room with a ceremony and the president awarding it, having the president's wife, the first lady, pin it on right there in the audience was just an unusual unusual thing to say the least. delivered emotion and optimism, but also division in this election year. The tension with Democrats electric and raw. The scene inside the House chamber for the president's speech was a reflection of a deeply divided America. It began with the president declining to shake the outstretched hand of the Speaker of the House and ended with her dramatically ripping up his speech right behind him. The tone was set even before the president started speaking. As he handed copies of his speech to the vice president and the speaker, the president rejected Nancy Pelosi's outstretched hand. And from the Republican side, 
chance of four more years. But this was Trumpian optimism, boasting of his success while offering a dark view of his political opponents. Speaker's jaw dropping as Trump attacked the state of California. This moment, which energized Republicans and horrified Democrats in the hall. A medal of freedom for controversial radio host Rush Limbaugh, who announced this week he is battling late-staged lung cancer. And when it was over, Speaker Pelosi dramatically ripped up the pages of the president's speech. Have you been in that chamber for states of the union going back some 20 years, Republican and Democratic presidents? There's always a divide in that chamber, but nothing like last night. There's always a divide. The speeches are always a political, but nothing like this, George. Uh, you had a situation where it begins with those chants of four more years, boos and groans throughout the speech from the Democratic side. I saw several Democratic members get up and leave during the speech. Others ran for the exits uh, as soon as it was over. For half of that hall, it looked like they were in a political convention. For the other half, it looked like... Oh, they're just not happy, folks. And I know I got a lot of sound bites today. It's just hard not to. Three back-to-back... Perfect examples of why our media is fucking garbage fire. There there was a meme on Twitter of a garbage on fire floating down a river of shit. <laughs> and it had CNN on it. And it just, yeah. Stephen Chang, what an absolute embarrassment CNN is. Congrats, you just played yourself. And he was talking about this soundbite by Dana Bash. Led by the President of the Senate. The Vice President of the United States. Mr. Vice President, how are you feeling? Is it awkward to be there with the President almost acquitted or maybe... Okay. <laughs> we tried. How are you feeling, Senator? Feeling good. Senator Shelby, can you stop for one second? Okay, you can't stop. <laughs> We're trying here. <laughs> the Senators, I would just tell you the, one of the reasons why they're not stopping is because it's tradition, uh, to be fair. It is tradition for them to walk together. And if you can see that they're walking, a lot of them, Senator, Senator Romney, a lot of them are walking with uh, members of the Senate of the opposite party. Uh, so I can keep trying to get them to, to stop. Senator, would you like to stop? We can keep trying, but uh, the reality is I've seen this movie before, and they like to come out uh, and talk and walk with one another, again, uh, especially across party lines. Anderson, back to you. All right. Who the fuck says that? That is so unprofessional. But that that's, that's our fucking media, man. That's who they are. Understand, his poll is still 49. He's polling better than Obama did. And I think it, it, it is their impeachment. And I think the media knows it's the impeachment. It didn't hurt him, it helped him. Five ways impeachments helped Trump. One, Congress passes Trump's biggest bipartisan trade bill. Two, poll moves in Trump favor. Three, Biden wobbles, Sanders surges, which is what they don't want. Four, a united GOP. Five, the deep state may face criminal inquiry because they're actually going to look into him. The Durham investigation. ABC, NBC emit new polls showing Trump approval spikes to record high. In fact, ABC News is so dismissive of President's trust standing, anchor David Muir suggested Trump simply believes he has much to celebrate about tonight. CBS Evening News is willing to admit the President's approval rating had jumped, yet impeachment seems to be helping him. A new Gallup poll gives him 49% job approval rating, the highest since he took office. 
One White House guest in the window of a soldier killed in Iraq by Salini supplied roadside bomb. The stock market is... I don't know why I read that. That's like the end of a sentence. Sorry. The stock market is soaring and the economic growth hit 2.3% last year. But the less than 3% annual growth the President policy promised, he added. Fox News Channel special report also highlighted Trump's improved job approval. Um... With the chief White House correspondent John Roberts recalling, as it did with President Clinton 21 years ago, impeachment appears to have improved Trump's standing with voters. A new Gallup has an approval rate of 49%. His approval among Republicans stands at 94, while overall 63% of respondents approve his handling of the economy. But it was a state of the union. And unlike before where we didn't stand, we didn't clap when it was crazy shit, this is what they didn't clap for, the Democrats, those that showed up. Janiah Davis, fourth grade student, loves art and math, but for too long she's been assigned to a low-performing school. Pennsylvania governor recently vetoed school choice legislation, and Jemiah remains one of the 50,000 students on a wait list for a tax credit scholarship. Ellie Schneider was born in just 21 weeks and six days. One of the youngest babies to survive in the U.S., she kept beating the odds, exceeding milestones, and fighting for life. Today, Ellie is a healthy two-year-old and brings endless joy to her family's life. Raul Ortiz has protected America's homeland for nearly three decades. In 2019, he took over Border Patrol operations for 41 Texas counties. Ortiz was recently promoted to Border Patrol Deputy Chief Second in Command of 20,000 agents. After serving the U.S. Army in Afghanistan, Tony Rankin's life was altered by PTSD and addiction. He lost his job, his family served several prison sentences, and ended up living out of a car but a new set of skills in construction trade helped make the comeback. Paul Murrow's United States Army veteran who started a successful contracting business today. He's building a new concrete plant in the Opportunity Zone in Montgomery, Alabama. This new plant will help support several brand new F-35 jets that are stationed in the region. <clears throat> People who weren't total partisan hacks. Great list, Liz Wheeler. Baby born in 21 weeks, family U.S. soldier killed by Soleimani, brother of a man murdered by illegal alien, single African-American mom supporting school choice, deputy chief U.S. Border Patrol, Venezuelan police chief in prison by Maduro, Marine Chandon. Where's Rush? Don't worry, sorry, this is America today. KT, a Virginia Liberty Bell. The Democrats are going to need a couple bottles of Xanax, a lot of booze, and maybe for some wellness checks and suicide watch by the end of this week. Kalia Fitt, my goodness, bravo. I was vehemently against Trump in 2016, but I paid more attention to his actions and his words. The last few years, I've also paid close attention to the actions of Democrats and the MSM. Donald Trump has my full support. Joe Al, looks like diversity to me. wonder if the MSM will make that observation. They did not. As the list of Democrats are boycotting the state of the union gets longer, there's more room for mega patriots to fill those empty seats. Ilian Omar. It's no secret the president's routinely target religious and ethnic minorities. He's fanned the flames. It's the same old list. This impeachment president is not legitimate. I'm not attending. Then she's redid it. I am attending, but not to confer his action, his statements, or presidency. I'm attending on behalf of those targeted by his president. Say, we are greater than hate. AOC didn't. Presley didn't. AOC put out a big old screed, not going to play it. But the people who didn't watch, well, they listened to this garbage. And to Rush Limbaugh receiving the Presidential Medal of Freedom. First of all, 
The Presidential Medal of Freedom is an extraordinarily sacred um, award. We're talking about putting someone on the same level as Rosa Parks, you know, for example, their contributions to American progress. Limbaugh is a violent racist. Um, even just on top of that, um, in the middle of a State of the Union and not even with its own ceremony as it has, all sorts of norms that are being violated, not just for vanity, but also it truly spins the value of it. Um, also, him pretending to be surprised was such a joke. There's been news all day. There have multiple reports for mul from multiple saying that Rush Limbaugh was going to receive the Medal of Freedom. And then Trump announced it, and he had to, you know, pretend that this was some kind of Oprah moment, um, disingenuous. And to do that and to give a talk when there were plenty in that audience that have contributed positively to the fabric of society, um, much more, frankly, than us. Um, you know, but it's based. Trump knows what he's doing, and he wants to that Limbaugh is somehow on the same level as Rose Parks, um, and it's truly nauseating. Uh, and this is one of the why I did not go, Ms. Hutchinson. I also want to thank you about bringing up the poverty draft and this idea of a bootstrap. You know, this idea and this metaphor of a bootstrap started off as a joke. Because it's a physical impossibility to lift yourself up by a bootstrap, by your shoelaces. It's physically impossible. The whole thing is a joke. Yeah, that's that's fucking great. Making fun of a deaf guy, and we get more of that on the back end, but th that's what they listen to. So the, the list was Green, Al Green, Steve Cohn, piece of shit from Tennessee, Blumenauer from Oregon, Johnson from Georgia, Wilson from Florida, Miss Cowboy Hat, Omar Talib didn't show up. Ilian Omar put a picture after because she walked out early, and this is what America looks like. And most people respond like me. Two people that hate America, hate soldiers, hate Christians, hate Southerners, hate people who have babies. Yeah, that's, if that's what we look like, we're pretty much fucked. Uh, Bill Rascal walked out early. Tim Ryan and Jackie Spear left. They all, of course, walked out to do a little screed. I just walked out of the State of the Union. I can't stand a liar. This man's presidency is a national tragedy. I just walked out of the State of the Union. I've had enough. It's like watching professional wrestling. Democrats have been leaving a steady trickle. This is Ben Jacobs. Jackie Spear walked out after Trump urged a ban on late-term abortion. Ben Jacobs, again, a small cluster of Democrats, including Tlaib, Omar, and Pocan. Don't mess, don't stand for Charles McGee, the former Tuskegee, Tuskegee Airman. He's black, by the way, introduced by Trump. The president recognized Ian Lamfer, 13-year-old aspires to go to the Air Force, and they sat for that. With Ian and his great-grandfather, Charles McGee, the last surviving of Tuskegee Airmen, Tlaib and Omar are on their phones, which is against House rules. Why didn't they just skip it like AOC? Their behavior is so inappropriate. Just leave already. So disrespectful. Look at Omar and Tlaib playing around to the uh, President's State of the Union. They are so disrespectful. I have some respect. These are all videos that, I mean, I could play, but you're not going to hear anything. He is the President's State of the Union. Our job is to put America first. Omar stares at the ground. According to reports from the Hill and Axios, the following Democrats will not attend. That was what they covered. Not who was coming. They were covering who wasn't going to come because they are more for the Democrats than actually anybody else. 
Swing State Dem Cinema stands and applauds Trump's tax cuts, and she was going to vote against impeachment, but then she was told she wasn't going to get any money, so she voted for impeachment. <laughs> Here's an article. They hate America. The surprising moments Democrats refuse to clap. Say the union is always a good measure on what Democrats seem to truly care about. On Tuesday, it was clear the disdain for President Trump took priority over any accomplishment he's made to prove the lives of average Americans. Below are some of the surprising times Democrats refused to clap during the speech. Economic success, including rising wages, low unemployment, and pay raises. Uh, when he talked about it's great for women and minorities, nothing. Why won't Nancy clap for economic success? Seven million new jobs, more Americans employed than ever. Unemployment at a 50 year low rate, lowest unemployment among African Americans and Hispanics, nearly seven million lifted off food stamps. Trump's highlights during State of the Union is lowest average unemployment rate ever, all time low unemployment for blacks, Latinos, Asian, women, unemployment rate for women at 70 year low, black poverty decline, Democrats sit. They hate America and minorities, is what people said. While the liberal women are not happy to hear more women are working and unemployment has hit an all-time low. On the USMCA, six days ago, replaced NAFTA and signed this new bill. Nancy Pelosi didn't even clap for that. Military investment, Space Force. Democrats didn't applaud a line about increased military investment. Democrats won't clap for Space Force? Some Dems were happy about the Space Force. Dems I spied excited. Abigail Spanberger, Elaine Lurie, Elisa Stodix, Max Rose, Tom Malinsky, Tom Reed, and Gosh Gottmeyer. But they can't do anything because if they stand up, they're in trouble. I mean, it, we get to the rip. It's coming when she rips it up. She was looking at them. It's like a cool teacher. A couple Democrats also did not stand for Tuskegee Airmen. The appears to show far-left Democrat Tlaib and Omar refusing to stand for the last surviving Tuskegee Airmen. A small cluster of Democrats, including Tlaib, Omar, Pocon, didn't stand. On school choice, he talked about that. They didn't stand. Democrats refused to plot for young black girl who received scholarship. Nancy Pelosi didn't, Pelosi didn't even acknowledge Rocky Jones' brother. Rocky was murdered by an illegal alien in her state of California. How vile and disgusting. These are people tweeting. I don't know their backgrounds, but they are. Protecting patients of pre-existing conditions as well as Medicare. Democrats sit for pre-existing condition. Neonatal research. Sweet, precious baby girls. So thankful for a life. How much hate do you have in your heart to sit there stoic and callous? That's pretty easier. Then we got our, you know, Hollywood betters. Fear-mongering pig, Sarah Silverman and Hollywood go berserk. Uh, the Hollywood left would rail on about the end of days. The latest chapter of what Sean Hannity called the tale of two Americas, Trump town and America's success during the February 4th address. The left is watching spat back as a record unemployment, blah, 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 blah. Comedian Sarah Silverman seemed to summed up the outrage, tweeting that the president was a fear-mongering pig. Singer Cher waxed hysterically with her tweet on the speech. Uh, misunderstood, he snubbed her. I've been alive through 13 presidents. He's the most vengeful, illiterate, limp imitation of a man ever. He used, he, he uses as his personal ATM. The reason he didn't want to shake Nancy's hand is because her hands are bigger than his. He's also afraid of her. HBO talk show. We'll talk about the shake in a second. Bill Maher got petty. Republicans sure do love anecdotal help for black folks. Jeffrey Wright tweeted, 
using black folks as a state of union weapon to target poor folks coming north to this country for a better shot. Racist, race-baiting, xenophobic bullshit to the applause and black slaps of lawmakers' white hands. Garbage. Record job right said speech was disgusting like the man. And they wonder why they don't take Hollywood seriously. Abortion lover and Daily Show co-host creator Liz Winstead objected to the pro-law enforcement, pro-strong border. Fuck ICE. Hashtag State of the Union. She also referred to the speech as the state of the gaslight. My daughter likes to use that. Twitter account, comedian Full Central Front, uh, full frontal Samantha B tweeted women in Congress are wearing white to celebrate the 19th amendment while men are white to celebrate being Republicans and it wouldn't be a Hollywood hate party without Rosie O'Donnell the wash up comedian tweeted history will record the standing clapping GOP as a cult members oh really really we'll do the handshake in a second we'll get to the rip Brian Seltzer, Trump targeting, and this is this is was more covered than who was showing up, that he had a diverse group, because if he didn't have a diverse group, they'd bash him. He brought a device device uh diverse group and he's a piece of shit. It's just the GOP thing. Doesn't matter what you do. You recognize minorities and women, you're pandering. If you don't do it, you're a racist sexist. It's like a catch twenty two. But they were more obsessed with CNN got Dist, and here it is. Trump targeting a CNN is moving to yet another arena. The annual pre-State of the Union lunch with TV news anchors. CNN anchors are being excluded from Tuesday's lunch. President Donald Trump targeting CNN is moving to yet another area. This is an article. The annual presidential lunch with television network anchors. CNN anchors are being excluded from Tuesday's lunch. Three sources said on Monday night, Trump, like presidents before him, typically invite anchors from all the major networks to dine with him at the White House and advance the State of the Union. The lunch conversation is considered off the record, but it gives the anchors a sense of the president's state of mind before they anchor State of the Union coverage. Now, before it was so you could get next to the dear leader and fear the feel the aura and power of Obama as you jerked off under the table, you fucking troll. Despite sorry to get vulgar, but that's what they were doing. Despite Trump's persistent attacks on news media, has kept up such tradition. Politico pointed out last year this is the first time in recent memory that the president has singled out one necker network and opted not to invite any anchors from there. These are the replies people gave him. I'm so sorry this happened to you. Wolf Blitzer should be upset with people like Acosta, Brian Seltzer, and Don Lemon, Chris Cuomo, and others at CNN who have ruined journalism. That's why he won't be at the lunch for the first time in 20 years. Excuse CNN doesn't have news anchors. All they have is damn propaganda, propagandist and hacktivist. And fake news. Damn propagandist at that. At least you won comfortably smug's bracket challenge. And he did from last podcast. He won it. But he wasn't done. More tweets on the subject. Pre-State of the Union anchor lunch conversation is considered off the record, but CNN was excluded and therefore did not agree to the mandate. Other anchors did attend the lunch. White House Press Secretary Stephanie Grisham tells Tucker Carlson that she's very, very angry about leaks from today's off-the-record anchor lunch. And it's going to impact any more off-the-record opportunities. Because here's the deal. They never, ever, 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 ever honor that with Trump. They did it with Obama. Did it with Clinton. There's nothing off the record when you're conservative. They're trying to gotcha every conservative. And if you hear humming in the background, we got a inch of snow. It's cold as fuck out. I got the fire going. Sorry. So it brings us to the big thing, which was the rip. So I'm going to play a soundbite about the rip, about the media talking about the rip. Especially Joy Reid. 
I think it really puts a, a punctuation mark at the end of what was an extraordinarily political State of the Union address. Obviously, these types of speeches are always driven by the politics of the moment, but there's also a lot of formality, a lot of ceremony around something like this. There's usually many moments in the beginning where you'll see both sides of the room stand up and, and cheer for uh, things that collectively they believe are good. This one was marked uh, by many more moments that were like a campaign-style rally. You had you know, the president clearly... Uh, focusing on his side of the room. Uh, there were chants at the beginning of four more years, which I can't recall ever having heard in the decade that I've been covering these speeches. Uh, it just, it, for, for a speech where normally a single moment of impropriety stands out, this one was incredibly raucous, incredibly sharp, uh, and, and very much, you know, focused on the president's political base and kind of the way uh, that he interacts uh, with them. I'm not sure she was throwing shade. I don't think this was about that. I don't think Nancy Pelosi thinks of Twitter and trending. I think she sat there and listened to uh, a pile of lies. And the only way to communicate that visually was to rip up the speech, which was useless because it was full of lies. And she's fed up. Um, I'm not sure what else you can do to point out that this man in front of her, the President of the United States, was not only using the State of the Union as a campaign rally and to play to his base, but was lying to the American people time and time again, over and over again. I will that say, was just a symbolic way of saying this is all lies. I will say, of all the Democratic responses I have seen in my lifetime, that was the most effective. Yes. Uh, Nancy Pelosi is the leader of the Democratic Party right now. And when you're being bullied and when a bully stands in your house and lies and spreads lies, not only to everybody that is in your house, the people's house, I, I give her I give her some leeway to make a point if she wants to about again, historians will record that as lies, almost all of it lies. So. Uh, not for for a Democratic Party that yesterday proved they were too inept to even run an election. Yeah. It's I think it's OK for Nancy Pelosi to show a little grit and toughness. America is the place where anything can happen. America is the place where anyone can rise. And here, on this land, on this soil, on this continent, the most incredible dreams come true. This nation is our canvas, and this country is our masterpiece. We look at tomorrow and see unlimited frontiers just waiting to be explored. Our brightest discoveries are not yet known. Our most thrilling stories are not yet told. Our grandest journeys are not yet made. The American age, the American epic, the American adventure has only just begun. Our spirit is still young. The sun is still rising. God's grace is still shining. And my fellow Americans, the best is yet to come. Thank you. God bless you. And God bless America. Thank you very much.
For fuck's sake, man. For fuck's sake. Nancy Pelosi, Democrats will never stop extending the hand of friendship to get the job done for the people. We'll work to find common ground when we can, but we'll stand our ground when we cannot. I guess she realized that her page-ripping tantrum was a PR disaster. You extended your hand when he was already turning, you liar. CBS and everybody on the planet did this. Nancy Pelosi extends her hand to Trump. First day in union dress, but he does not shake it. That's not how you look at it if you catch the angle. He passed everybody a peachy of the speech that she was about to rip up. He turned a hand, whatchamacallit, she put her hand out after he had already turned. That's how I saw it. But that's not on the media. John Saducci. Besides no handshake, Pelosi intro to Trump was not typical either. Usually the speaker says, Member of Congress, I have the high privilege and distinct honor of presenting you the President of the United States. Pelosi just said, the President of the United States. Speaker Pelosi is once again shuffling through the printed copy of the President's address, which brings us to the point that the media was in on this. They knew this was going to happen because, listen to this. Literally, this is not a conspiracy theory. I don't have a tinfoil hat. Listen to this. Shuffling through the printed copy of the President's address just like last year. Can somebody explain to me why Nancy Pelosi randomly shuffing paper around? At tonight's post-State of the Union Dem rebuttal, will the Republicans have someone sitting in the background shuffling papers for distraction like Pelosi's doing? Acting like a spoiled child during the State of the Union, shaking her head, looking away, shuffling papers, showing total lack of class? There is even video online that's just a gif with no sound of her pre-trip. She was trying to see if she could rip it. But she was keeping everybody involved, keeping the cameras on them. Because the media was more involved with what's Nancy Pelosi going to do in the Dems than Trump because we hate Trump. Brian Seltzer. Pelosi shredding a Trump speech was ripped right out of Trump's play. But there it is. It's Trump's fault. She did something horrible. It was divisive but effective, hijacking attention and diverting of media coverage. I wrote this House Speaker Nancy Pelosi shredding a President Trump's State of the Union speech was ripped right out of Trump's playbook. 
It was unprecedented behavior for Speaker Gressley Rude and unapologetically meant to rile up her base. It was divisive, but effective. It was a good political play. When they do something like this, like we're going to impeach the motherfucker, that's good politics. <laughs> when a Republican does it, my God, the children. What are we going to do about the children? It was unprecedented behavior for Speaker of, oh, sorry, but effective. The tariff seems to be just as much morning TV attention as the content of Trump's speech. Conservative denounced or disrespectful liberal praise or passion. Both sides are incentivized to heap attention onto the moment. It took the Democrats three years, but they may have finally figured out how to control a news cycle with Trump era. Overnight in the morning, the video snippet shown on the loop on TV and the web. It was even some of Pelosi's critics begrudgingly admitting perfect fodder for the meme war. She gave us something to talk about. She knows exactly what she was doing. Steve Ducey said as he reenacted the ripping to great effect, it turned the annual address into personality class between a Republican man who said he was turning America around and a Democratic woman who said he was lying. On social media, Parsons argued over who started it. Pelosi by leading the House to impeach Trump or Trump by appearing to ignore outstretched hand when he walked to the House chamber on Tuesday. And he has links to that. There's no link to the impeachment, partisan, didn't work. There's no links. He has a link to go, oh, look at this picture. Ashley Parker. Seems like Pelosi may have been trying to replace meme one, Trump ignoring her outstretched hand with meme two or ripping up a State of the Union over his shoulders. It was still on the dais. Newspaper editors revived their front page accordingly. The New York Times replaced a photo of a stone-faced Pelosi sitting behind Trump with a livier photo of Pelosi, Pelosi in mid-tear. The new subline said, tensions grow as he and Pelosi swap snubs. The ripping around the country totally overshadowed the official Democratic rebuttal address. Around midnight, as cable commentators chewed on the meaning of the tear, Pelosi's office issued a statement that seemed to justify her actions by pointing out some of the false claims Trump's made. Here's the reality. There is never, ever, 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 ever a State of the Union address that isn't fucking bullshit. There was a Clinton-Obama with like 30 things that they'll never fucking do it. People's responses. Brian denounces Trump playbook until Pelosi does it, then it's effective. And this is the one I like. If you weren't for double standard liberals, wouldn't have any standards at all. This is how she was allowed to explain ripping up the State of the Union speech like a fucking adult school child. Why did you rip the speech up, Madam Speaker? Because it was the courteous thing to do, considering the it was the courteous thing to do. Why did you rip up the speech? It was the courteous thing to do. Why did you rip the speech up, Madam Speaker? Because it was the courteous thing to do, considering the Tearing up his falsehoods, isn't that the wrong mess? No, it isn't. It's just I have tried to be gracious with him. I'm always dignified. I thought that was a very dignified act compared to my exuberances, as I said. Uh, but uh, uh, we will not allow any president to use that capital, that chamber of the House of Representatives, of the People's House, as a backdrop for him. Now, all presidents have guests, constant guests. That was not a state of the union. That was a state, his state of mind. We want a state of the union. Where are we? Where are we going? And the rest. Not let me just show you how many guests I can draw. And let me say how I can give a medal of honor. Do it in your own office. We don't come in your office and do congressional business. 
Why are you doing that here? Quite frankly, when he started talking about someone with stage four cancer, all of that, I thought he was, I don't know which stage uh, uh, John Lewis's cancer is at, but when he started talking about someone with cancer, we thought he was going to talk about John Lewis, a hero in our country. Come on. So in any event, I feel very liberated. I feel very liberated. I feel that uh, I've extended every possible courtesy. I've shown every level of respect. I say to my members all the time, there's no such thing as an eternal animosity. There are eternal friendships, but you never know. Now ask yourself, could a Republican get away? Could John Boehner have ripped up Obama's speech? What would the outcry have been in the media? The very action of a white man ripping up white paper with a black president would have been tantamount that John, we would have read this, John Boehner puts on a KKK white hood and lynched Obama figuratively. That's what it would have been said. But she can rip it up. It's okay. And as I said, she shuffled paper. The media knew this was coming. I don't give a fuck what you say. They knew it. Her caucus knew it. They were all look. She was looking at him while she was doing it. They knew this was coming. That's why they keyed in on the cameras. What usually happens after a State of the Union? They key in on the president as he walks around and shakes people's hands. They were keying in on Pelosi. The pool knew this was coming. Here's an article in response. Thank you. That felt good. Hollywood satisfied as Pelosi tears up State of the Union speech. Uh, let's see. And her fans, especially the Hollywood ones, adored it. The celebration of Nancy Caddy, Real Housewife moment, helped the make hashtag Nancy the Ripper trend on hashtag on Twitter, which was promoted by Twitter, who was also in on it. Uh, George Takai, one thing is clear, Pelosi knows how to capture a moment. All I can remember from the last day of New was her iconic hand clap. And all I can take away from this one is ribbing up the speech. She does more without saying a damn word than Trump could do with 10,000 lies. Takai also tweeted that ripping up the lies was appropriate. He claimed, in America, I know we still reject lies. We call them out, and yes, we tear up the paper on which they are written. So there is not improved economy uh, once again, they're still pushing this. There's no record unemployment for blacks, Latinos, women. Uh, it's all a lie. It's all made up. When we we caught Obama making lies about the report and adjusting up every fucking unemployment report was a tissue of lies on Obama when it was run by a Democrat. Now a Democrat's running it, and it's still good news, but that's a lie. It's all a fucking lie. Documentary Bernie bro, Michael Moore, sound of your saying goodnight. Thank you, he tweeted. That felt good. Nancy the Ripper. Washed up comedian Kathy Griffin. Nancy Pelosi's a legend. She'll always be seen as a legend. She'll be acknowledged in the history books as a legend. The other two in this photo, not so much. Deborah Messing. She's a boss. No one's better. She argued earlier that Trump deserved it for lying and refusing to shake her hand. He lied for an hour and a half. And right, walked right past her outstretched hand. And actually, every president has done the Speaker of the House. Mia Farrow claimed that Trump's lies warranted the Speaker's outburst. She responded that FNC contributor Ari Fleischer questioned of what 
Who does that with the justification of there were lies on every page? Pelosi may not be stopping Trump, but she sure knows how to play the Hollywood Trumpeters like dummies. Charlie Kirk, approval of Trump's State of the Union speech, Republican, 97, Democrats, 30, which is really bad for the Democrats. 30 is a high number. But this one hurts them. Independence, 82%. Nancy Pelosi ripped up a speech that an overwhelming majority of Americans were inspired by. She hates Trump more than she loves America. Tammy Bruce, the extraordinary penance exhibited by Speaker Pelosi tonight, ending with her tearing up a copy of the President's speech, is behavior of a woman broken, defeated, and small. What an awful and ignominious collapse for her. I said that word wrong. Don't care. Um... New York Post, tour loser. And you see the picture. She's looking at her caucus. The Washington Post. Opinion, Pelosi ripped up a speech. Trump is ripping up democracy. Understand, everybody took the Constitution, put it in her hand, and had to rip it up. I'm just telling you. She made Trump so many fucking ads. It was not a good play. Here's Sergeant from WAPO. There's a more precise point to be made here. If the underlying uh, underlying premise of the criticism of breaches of the quorum is that they pose a threat to our democracy's functioning, then much of what Trump has done well beyond such breaches for three years now actually does pose a severe threat to that functioning, while acts like Pelosi's actually do not pose any remotely comparable threat. This isn't whataboutism. It's meant to correct a massive category error. Breaches in civility are not the main threat to our political system. Indeed, if Trump only went on half-cooked rally rants of merely insulting Democrats, the current damage would not be nearly as severe. It's all other misconduct that threatens the fabric of democracy. Trump's unchecked lawlessness, his abuses of power, his public racism, his unprecedented lying, his treatment of the opposition is illegitimate. In this context, hand-wringing about a mutual deterioration of decorum. The New York Times discerned a mutual snubbing, while an NBC reporter sniffed that Pelosi's deluged in antics that are Trumpian. He views his opposition as illegitimate. Do you see where they live in a different world? When was the last Republican legitimate? Not in my lifetime. Even when Reagan went wholesale, oh, he didn't win that. He, he's a racist. The country's racist. A landslide wasn't legitimate. The last legitimate presidents are all Democrats. It's like the last war that was legitimate was World War II. Emily Miller, here's a video version of Pelosi suddenly looking up and hand over her heart in panic when Trump spoke of God's glory and prayer. Thanks, Trump. It is so sad Pelosi looked at though you were speaking a foreign language when you mentioned religion. Eyes popped when you mentioned raising your voice in prayer. White House spoke Pelosi just ripped up one of our last Tuskegee Airmen, a survival child born at 21 weeks. The morning families of Rocky Jones and Kyla Mueller, the service member reunion with his family. We're going to get to that too. That's her legacy. Here's Lindsey Graham. Well, in my view, this is an outstanding speech by President Trump. It's not exactly the guy you'd want to remove from office, I believe. 
the compelling nature of the economy was well explained, how everybody from all walks of life are benefiting from this economy. Uh, being a military guy, I appreciate what the President's done for the military. We've got the terrorists on the run, and I think uh, the best is yet to come. And I appreciate Nancy Pelosi as Speaker of the House, and I admire what she's accomplished, but tearing the speech up uh, is not going to tear up the accomplishments of this President. I think he's well on his way to being reelected. As I said, there's proof it was all a, a stunt. Brandon Morris, here's Pelosi testing to see if she could rip the speech before the speech even started. She was planning to do this from the start. Credit to finding this goes to Reddit user WTC Molly Bendham 4753 Holy crap. She holds it below the table, hoping no one will see, and does a quick test to see if she could tear it up easily. Totally planned. That was a pre-tear so that she could be successful in the rip. All show, all meaningless. You get the joke. Nancy out in 2020. That was a Democrat. A Democrat. That wasn't a Republican. And, you know, it goes back to why she's doing all this stuff. She didn't want to do impeachment because she knew it was going to be bad. She didn't have a, a, a fucking... She didn't have a choice. She is forced to do this because her base is so extreme. And she got bullied by Omar Tlaib and AOC. And she's in fear. Sorry, I was switching my mouth up. She's in fear of losing her position to young bloods because they don't like her. They don't like the old bloods. A woman wrote this. Pelosi's pathological idiotic paper partisan. With her pathetic partisan decision to rip up a copy of the President Trump's State of the Union, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi gifted Trump a new election advert on Tuesday. You can see the campaign ad now. It's beginning to show Democrats the Senate floor proudly claiming their impeachment trials about serving the nation's bipartisan interests. Then we see Pelosi standing up and slowly, repeatedly ripping Trump's speech in half. We then jump a shot to Trump celebrating Tuskegee Airmen with his great-grandson. We then see a soundbite of Trump proclaiming his economy and his record low rates of minority unemployment. Suddenly, Trump's less than auspicious conduct towards Ukraine is forgotten. Thus follows the question, what on earth was Pelosi thinking? While Pelosi's paper antics were surely an adoration for Democratic activists and donor base and the media... They are unlikely to earn Democrats many new claps from independent voters because they paint the picture of a party that is far more concerned about partisan pageantry than it is about the nation's better interests. And in a week where Democrats have already detonated a thermonuclear-sized public relation bomb under their first primary contest, which is coming next, the party's credibility is suddenly looking very weak. Trump needs two things to get reelected: Voters to focus on his economic record and to forget about his extreme personal insults. If he does so, he can win the Rust Belt. Midwestern state that secured his victory in 2016. Many months until November 2020. Tonight, however, Democrats came across as pathological partisans. And Trump came across as a Republican who cares about minority unemployment, criminal justice reform, and keeping the nation safe. Sorry, Madam Speaker, the paper gamble ain't going to pay off. RNC research, unhinged. Nancy Pelosi rips the State of the Union speech transcript. Pretty much spot on what the guy just said. Or the gal just said. It's spot on. 
It's all over the internet. Greg Gutfeld. I didn't realize how fucking great the speech was until Pelosi ripped it up. Dan Scavino. Nancy Pelosi destroyed a historical record tonight at State of the Union. The speech she ripped up was a one-of-a-kind record signed by POTUS and full of stories of bravery, heroism, and patriotism. It belonged to the American people, not her. What a disgusting display of raw partisanship. Britt Hume. Pretty clear the extent to which Trump has frustrated Pelosi. She thinks he's an evil buffoon, yet there he is. Yet here he is, in better shape politically than any time since his inauguration. It's so true. Jennifer Rubin. All the people, Jennifer Rubin is a beyond parody. I love this speech tearing. Perfect. Josh Hammer. Trump talks about low record unemployment killing the two most infamous terrorists on the face of the earth. Pelosi tears up the speech. The Democratic Party is not a good place right now. Imagine being a 108-year-old and still acting like you're nine. Classless, addled brain, alcohol-infused, embarrassment to the nation government. She wants to do the same thing to the U.S. Constitution. Nancy Pelosi disgraced herself for title of the U.S. Congress and our great country with this disgusting response at the end of a State of the Union address. She should be stripped of her gavel by the American public. Pelosi tearing up the speech is another instance of Democrats playing mainly the Twitter blue-check media bubble. Teen Vogue editor, or whatever you might go, Yaz Queen, to people watching it. Say in Michigan, it looks totally different. Howard Feynman, a lib. That said, it was an unforced PR error by Pelosi to tear up the speech in front of a camera on the rostrum. Whom did that help? Trump. Nikki Haley, disappointed, blah, blah, blah. Mike Schlapp, Congress, congrats, Ms. Pelosi. Your antics of rolling your eyes, muttering to yourself, not cheering for America achievement, and ripping up the speech probably means Trump will be over 50% in the next gallop. You literally ripped up the references to the heroes in the gallery. Matt A., ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the actions of a woman who said she prays for the president every day and no, and knows no hate. Shawnee Brown, and there's about 30 of these I could read. I was a Democrat six hours ago. Pelosi, not Trump, changed my mind tonight. Sold DeWitt. History won't be kind to Nancy. She'll be remembered as a speaker initiated a malicious impeachment whose son Paul Pelosi was on the board of directors of Ukrainian Viscol and above all as the last speaker of the House of the Democratic Party. Uh, call your congressman. Charles Limit, Charles Limit, Hinks, I don't know what that means. The speech he tore up celebrated a list, blah, blah, blah. Andrew Suburbian, imagine how the media would react if John Boehner tore it up. Yeah, think about it. Eric, Aaron Kate, that was weak, Nancy. I wish she held her cool. Plays into every female stereotype. There was a lot of women who said that. Tracy Beans, in a stunning display of hatred and contempt for our country, Pelosi just ripped up the State of the Union address on national television. This is what she thinks of you. This is what they think of the country. They must be removed in November. A lot of people saying that. I totally agree. This is what they think of you. They hate you. We show it every podcast. Lisa Booth. Democrats have given Republicans an easy ad by sitting during moments we should all unite behind and Nancy Pelosi ripping up the speech at the end. President Trump looked like the adult in the room. They keep trying to say he's unfit, but aren't they? Uh, Scott Pressler, dear Speaker Pelosi, my name is Scott Pressler. While you're ripping up President's speech, I traveled to your district and picked up all your trash. Greg Polowitz, Nancy Pelosi's weak. 
Sunday, 49ers lose a game they should have won. Monday, Dems fuck up Iowa. Tuesday, State of the Union, she rips up a speech in anger. Wednesday, Trump gets acquitted. Gallup, 59% of America say they're better off financially. Gallup has never recorded this level in over 40 years. Even the dot-com boom was 58%. This is how Trump wins re-election in November. More from Gallup. Mood of the Nation. These data come from Gallup's annual Mood of the Nation survey conducted 2nd through 15th of January. Survey was completed after months of historical low-level unemployment and Dow Jones industrial move. The current 59% of Americans say they're better off financially than they were a year ago is essentially tied for the all-time high of 58%. That was recorded to the dot-com boom, which conditions similar to the current state of economy, a start market rocketing and then record high in unemployment though GDP growth was higher at the time. Heather Long, notable, 74% of Americans believe they'll be better off in a year, the highest percent since 77. 60% of Democrats agree their personal finances are going to be better off within the next year. Even their own voters aren't buying the doomsday rhetoric. It's, it's, it's bad. It's bad, and that's why they're doing this. It's bad. All they have is hate of a man. They were so butthurt, they didn't applaud for this. War places a heavy burden on our nation's extraordinary military families especially spouses like Amy Williams from Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and her two children, six-year-old Eliana and three-year-old Rowan. Amy works full-time and volunteers countless hours helping other military families. For the past seven months, she has done it all while her husband, Sergeant First Class Townsend Williams, is in Afghanistan on his fourth deployment in the Middle East. Amy's kids haven't seen their father's face in many months. Amy, your family's sacrifice makes it possible for all of our families to live in safety and in peace, and we want to thank you. Thank you, Amy. There is one more thing. Tonight, we have a very special surprise. I am thrilled to inform you that your husband is back from deployment. He is here with us tonight, and we couldn't keep him waiting any longer.
Welcome home, Sergeant Williams. Thank you very much. As the world bears witness tonight, America is a land of heroes. This is a place where great... A surprise homecoming for a soldier. But they couldn't even applaud for that. And they actually commissioned articles. This is a CNN person. And it became a Twitter moment. Because of CNN. There's no... There's no big push. There was no hashtag. There was no nothing. They pushed this out on Twitter, examining the conflicting emotions brought up by the military family reunion in the State of the Union. During Trump's State of the Union speech, a family was surprised with the return of the soldier, husband and father. Though the reunion was largely seen as heartfelt, the political stage and spectacle felt exploitative or insensitive to some, including other military families. No, partisan families, sure. And they got a CNN person to do a tweet screed that turned into an op-ed, and it goes a little something like this. Rebecca Sanderlin, can I tell you what a military reunion is really like? I've been through a bunch. I'm the SME. You wait, you worry, you haven't seen this personal in months, maybe even a year. So much has happened. Sweeping moment, you want to rush each other's arms, the kids, uniforms. You're afraid they won't see each other. I'm paraphrasing. It's really long. But you aren't sure because it's awkward because this is effectively a stranger you haven't seen in so long. You went to the hospital to see the guys who lost their legs. You know, but you don't know. You don't want to know, blah, blah, blah. So he comes home, then you wait. You, your thong is riding up because you're used to granny panties now, and you can't adjust because you're a room full of people. The kids are fussy and bored, cranky and tired. The soldiers start appearing. Families start fighting. Your daughter runs and grabs the wrong daddy, blah, blah, blah. You really did make it home. You never let yourself dare to believe that that would happen. You wait a minute. You need... Uh you need some granny panties, a glass of wine, a good laugh, and some long conversation with them. You need to be you again, us again, together again. You need no one watching. And... I can't tell each of you thank you individually, but thank you. And I hope all the search member family and veteran families reading this realize that all the wonderful comments here are for you too. Those comments came from liberals who give a fuck about soldiers, who don't care about them dying. They only cared under Bush when it was a tote board to prove that Bush lied, people died. But they could give a fuck that your leg got blown off. They didn't give a fuck that Obama hand billions of dollars to the fucking country that got people's fucking legs blown off. And that the current Democrats want to saddle up to Iran who are still killing American soldiers. They don't give a fuck. But they care to make partisan hay. And they even bashed that. So I replied politely to this goddamn piece of fucking shit bitch who's writing out a partisan hay to Trump. My wife and I read this and surmised Trump bad. You wrote this to bash him. Take the one state of the union moment both sides can cheer and criticize for partisan hate and division. The wife and I are not Trumpettes, but the last five of my 20 were separated, and we would have taken a reunion any way we could. That's how fucking petty. It just wasn't the rip. They were so fucking petty, they criticized a homecoming for a soldier. And I ask you, could you do that with Obama? Could you do any of this under Obama? 
And I sound angry because that was the last straw. I give a fuck you don't like the speech. Stay in the union and speech are a bunch of fucking bullshit. It's like the fine print when you buy something. It's all lies. It basically means you bought it, you're stuck with it, shut the fuck up. They all talk about all the great things they're going to do, but they're not going to get any of it done because we're so fucking partisan and divisive, we couldn't agree on what fucking to watch on TV, thanks to the media and Democrats who spend every second of every fucking day telling you America's a fucking piece of dung. But criticize when Trump actually calls real countries that are pieces of shit, pieces of shit. This is how bad the left is. They are going to criticize something that they could give a fuck less about. They don't care. They don't fucking care about soldiers. We're low skill set pieces of shit. We couldn't go to college because we're fucking idiots. Replay Don Lemon. We're all a bunch of hayseeds that can't speak. Fucking our cousins. That's our military. But they criticized a homecoming. Yeah. You fucking people are shit. So they're breaking out an ethics complaint because what she did was against fucking the rules to rip it up. Uh, the fact, uh, 13 takeaways really quick. The facts are strong. Blue collar boom emphasized by partisan success. Speech was difficult to oppose, but they did it. Opposition to socialism, overreach to black America, boldness because he talks shit to them, putting an incredible cute face on the victim of late-term abortion, a touching Supreme Court moment, articulating a restrained foreign policy, what conversations uh, might not like, a hopeful national identity, bad timing for Democrats. Yeah, they're not good. Not good. So... Positive sound bites. Um, I got a couple. I'm not going to play them all because we're going long. I'm going to play uh, CBS first. CBS, uh, there was an article I read the other day. They're starting to tip their hat to the right a little bit because I think they're starting to realize there are viewers out there that they could actually get if they didn't spend all the time with that lady every night who fucking hates Trump. And they said positives about the speech. The president, um, in each of these remarks he made tonight and specific proposals, um, he was highlighting something that might be appealing to independent voters, to Democratic voters, each of the characters who sat in people that sat in the first lady's box. Uh, they were emotionally compelling stories, great Americans. Great Americans who serve our military mm-hmm. for years, who've done great things in terms of medicine. Um, and then, um, and that was deliberate on the part of the president. And what we just have now, and the reason I set that up is because we have now a tweet from the president of the United, uh, excuse me, from the White House that says, Speaker Pelosi just ripped up one of our last surviving Tuskegee airmen, the, la- the survival of a child born at 21 weeks, the mourning families of Rocky Jones and Kayla Muller a service member's reunion with his family, that's her legacy. The conservatives will make the case that each time the Democrats didn't stand to applaud some of these people, that they are opposed to that. That's how the game of politics is played. That's right, and that's the baiting that he was setting up this entire speech, was to bait the Democrats into this kind of reaction, instead of perhaps the Democrats saying, if you want to have a full and frank discussion about health care, 
you're not trying to which is you're not trying to protect pre-existing conditions on education they can they can make a case mm -hmm. but instead of rebutting him on those things that they say privately this is what Americans really care about they basically uh, fell into his into the trap he was clearly laying by as you said Nora talking about issues that Americans care about education health care bringing the troops home those are right down the middle yeah. Democrats may disagree with how he's doing it but the topics he was focused on down the middle so the next day, we then get, oh my God, I, I could play a Tom Tillis. He, he ripped up fucking the impeachment articles, which I thought was really funny. That became a meme online, but I won't. But they, they went at each other again at the prayer breakfast. Jim Acosta, I'm not quite sure that Trump was ever behaved this way during public remarks. This is how he sounded at Trump Tower after Charlottesville. Dear Diary, Trump is going to spank me for another five years. CNN begs to be taken seriously while the reporters tweet things like this. they got to always bring back race. That's, that's how they think they're going to get people to watch. Waji Ali, the guy that says you're all a bunch of hill seed pieces of shit. Republican enablers of Trump, I ask with utmost sincerity, what do you tell your kids if they start behaving like Trump, especially towards women or people of color or people who criticize him, when they start quoting him and emasculating him or emulating his conduct of business, politics, ethics? Remember, you said their kids don't even know how to read, remember? When I'm not ridiculing you on CNN, I'm pleading you to do what I want. Uh, never, never Trumper. I ask with utmost sincerity, you cousin fucking hillbillies. <laughs> and the media did not like the conduct post. Here is CNN losing their goddamn mind about the prayer breakfast. Weeks ago and again yesterday, courageous Republican politicians and leaders had the wisdom, fortitude, and strength to do what everyone knows was right. I don't like people who use their faith as justification for doing what they know is wrong. Nor do I like people who say, I pray for you when they know that that's not so. So many people have been hurt, and we can't let that go on. Let me just say that that, that language is, first of all, the whole State of the Union was beneath the dignity of the White House, an insult to the Congress of the United States and the American people. So their uh, language is uh, nothing that surprises anyone, but they have to know when the White House speaks, those words weigh a ton. And they are giving uh, encouragement to people to do things. Just as, remember, Charlottesville, people are coming down that hill with tiki torches saying, the Jews will not replace us, the Jews will not replace us. And what was the president's statement? They're good people on both sides. Really? The Jews will not replace us, and they're good people on both sides? So they, uh, there's a uh, mysterious view that they have about what their words, uh, the weight their words carry. And there are people out there who, uh, for whatever purpose, I know I'm constantly, I'm at, I don't want to even go into the target that I am <laughs> because of them, but I can't worry about that. But that was there even before them, just working with President Obama stirred up some of those same people. Lauren, you have been watching the President of the United States with an unscripted, vindictive, at times profane, angry, rambling response 
to his impeachment acquittal. The president there for an hour holding what's really been a surreal ceremony there in the East Room in front of his legal team, in front of Republican lawmakers, White House staff, his family, a friendly crowd that gave him numerous standing ovations, the president insulting and going after his perceived enemies, everyone from former FBI director James Comey to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to Senator Mitt Romney. It also comes hours after he attacked the faith of Mitt Romney, who was the only Republican senator to vote to convict him on abuse of power, just one of the two articles of impeachment. I want to bring in our experts, our political experts here to talk about this. Gloria Borger, let's start with you. Uh, first off, just the tone, the vindictive nature of his going through clearly almost an enemies list that he appeared to be looking down at on the heels of a number of Republicans voting to acquit him, citing that they think he's learned his lesson, which clearly he has not. Which clearly uh, he has not. You know, I, I, it's, this started out with the president coming out into the East Room to ruffles and flourishes. And then immediately turned into an avalanche of grievance against everybody. It was vindictive, as you pointed out. It was full of revenge. It was mean-spirited. It was poisonous. It was spiteful. And it, it gave you a real look into the way he views the world, which is the bad and evil people, as he spoke about, those are his words, who dared oppose him versus the people who stuck with him. And he had names for everybody who opposed him. Um, they were vicious, as he called Adam Schiff, as you said. Uh, Mitt Romney, a failed presidential candidate who uses religion as a crutch. This is a man who was a former bishop and president of his uh, Mormon church. Um, so I think uh, it was quite a remarkable view into the president's psyche here and when you compare it to bill clinton as we were all talking about after his impeachment bill clinton apologized to the american people and said he was how profoundly sorry i am for what i did to trigger all of this the president did none of that and how big a blow is that to the president's response to this if at all it's a big blow to the president and i think we have to step back and uh, think about the two clips you played before as illustrating uh, who those two men are. Uh, Mitt Romney, like Nancy Pelosi for that matter, is a person of deep faith. By everything an outsider can see, President Trump is not a person of faith. He transacts political business with people of faith. He does not uh, show any indication that he even recognizes abstract principles like the difference between right and wrong or morality mm -hmm. or values. He is concerned about Donald Trump. And so in his remarks at the prayer breakfast while talking about stock market values and poll numbers, uh, he goes after uh, uh, Pelosi and Romney in this way. And online, uh, he and his family are even more viciously going after uh, mm -hmm. Mitt Romney, casting uh, you know questions about his masculinity and uh, 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 portraying him as shady. All of these things. Uh, are they show Donald Trump for who he is? He called he calls Romney sanctimonious. The reason Donald Trump thinks people are sanctimonious is because the the moral considerations that go into their decisions, he he doesn't understand those. He does that doesn't compute with him. They they acquit.
acquitted the president of the United States. And and it doesn't matter what they think in terms of uh, in terms of whether it was right or wrong. The bottom line, it wasn't an impeachable offense, which is the defense that was put on by the president's team. Well, that 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 is a perfect way of summarizing the situation. If you don't care about the difference between right and wrong. But Mitt Romney does care about the difference between right and wrong. And one of the reasons so many Republicans are angry at Mitt Romney, not just uh, uh, the president's family, is that he has stripped naked the tortured tortured explanations they gave for absolving the president of something that, as our uh, colleagues have reported, Ted Cruz said privately, they know that he did. Terry, this is all the fallout from the impeachment trial. There used to be an unspoken rule in politics. You don't go after someone's faith. That did not happen today. That didn't. And that was the unspoken rule. Faith was one of those things that was kind of the background reality of American life, respected in our individual faith traditions or beliefs or lack thereof, uh, as as a conscience uh, in the, each individual. And that is at the core of American equality. One respects each other's choice. We didn't fight with faith, with words of faith. I've been in plenty of countries that do. They're troubled. They're usually violent. They're hateful. Uh, th- this is definitely crossing a line here. When we wield the words of, of belief, when we scorn each other's professions of faith, uh, at the highest level of American politics, two constitutional officers, the President and the Speaker of the House, spitting contempt on each other's professions of faith, uh, that is a new low in American political discourse. And I think what we saw from the President, he is changing the way presidents speak for better or worse and probably for the worse presidents one of the things that we look to them to do was set a standard of how we can talk to each other in a very diverse and pluralistic country where where feelings do run high where tempers do flare in in politics and presidents who were expected to fight for us and scrap for us were also expected to raise the level of our debate trump takes it down he takes it down into profanity, into vulgarity, uh, into, into the very depths of the language. And joyfully, gleefully, this is his moment of triumph. And he chooses it uh, really to go after his opponents, and one can understand his feelings, in the worst possible way. The, the language of presidents, which used to be elevated. President Trump uh, savoring uh, the triumph, his acquittal in the Senate trial of his impeachment. He spoke for more than an hour, a lengthy diatribe, uh, uh, revisiting long-held grievances and responding directly to his acquittal, but also other grievances that he holds against uh, 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 Democrats, media, and even members of the FBI. For half of America, that's going to feel like a... a a dystopian speech of some sort of bizarro world speech he's not over this and he clearly is is going to be looking for some sort of revenge or vengeance he seems to be in that mode he was really flexing his cult of personality muscle right this is a republican party that is no longer organized around ideas it is organized around a person pure and simple he aired a series of grievances almost the greatest hits of grievances at this point this had to be exceedingly difficult for democrats to watch as the president really celebrated this sense of of triumph there is a tolerance level at some point with the middle of this country that's going to crack on this stuff and the Uh question is it is the forever media gotcha moment that just cracks me up because this is the conduct obama did after every time he had an accomplishment Elections have consequences. Shut your fucking hole. 
But when a Republican does it and they can't control them and they can't shame them and they can't get them to be contrite and say, the Democrats were right, I'm a piece of shit, this is the kind of bullshit we hear. You know, yeah, it's a prayer breakfast. Neither one of them should be acting the way they are. But she has called into question everything about the man and then gets to sit up there and fucking lie that I pray for him every day when I'm not ripping up a speech. Fuck her. Fuck the media. This is one of the rare times I actually support Trump. Stick it in their face. Because everything we've gone through since November 9, 2016 to now would never fucking happen under a Democrat. It would not be allowed to happen. None of the criticism, conduct, none of it would happen. No fucking way. That impeachment would never gotten off the ground. None of it. Mueller, nope. Protest on the day of inauguration, nope, 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 nope. It would not happen. They wouldn't even have got a goddamn permit to protest. Because you watch. If Bernie doesn't get fucked and he wins this, boys and girls, Republicans are going to go protest. I guarantee on elect, on inauguration day, fucking hells to the no, you're not protesting. We're not giving you shit. Nope. Shit out of luck, motherfucker. Not going to happen. So, do some funny, and then we're going to go do our listening assignment as we go into Iowa. And Chris Steyerwalt, guy I used to listen to, kind of like him, he kind of surmises how pathetic all this is. None of these people should be elected. None of them. Trump, Pelosi, AOC, all of them. Go the fuck away. They don't do the people's business. We need to go back to the old system where it's not a fucking career. It's a goddamn appointment. You have a job. You go up, you vote, you go the fuck home, and you don't get 900 years and a golden parachute medical and pension plan. I mean, these motherfuckers make $170,000 the rest of goddamn life just because they served. I barely scratched 25. 20 years and a broken back and 80% disabled. Barely scratch 25. In fact, I don't. It's under 25 grand. That's my pension. It ain't shit. So he sums it up, then we'll go into Iowa. But I had to read this. Poor Washington Post. Their Trump State of the Union video drew floods of pro-Trump comments. WAPO makes no secret of his hatred of Trump. Write down the daily slogan on the front of the newspaper, democracy dies in the dark. So that would be frustrated that the commenters under the paper's YouTube video of Trump's State of the Union speech were so positive. We wouldn't normally report on the comment section, but this had to annoy the Post. This is an exception and indicates the speech was a huge home run for Trump. Here's some of the comments. The Dead Sea is 9.6 times as salty as the ocean, but it still isn't as salty as Democrats were tonight. (laughs) Wait, she's wearing a white for women, but doesn't clap for the lowest unemployment in 70 years for women? It looks like the hour and 15 minutes was three weeks long for Nancy pretending to read the notes just made me laugh. I'm old enough to have watched many State of the Union speeches, but I've never seen anyone sat behind the president be openly disrespectful as Pelosi. And that was the normal person. If you watched it, it was over the top. Um, Trump approval rating are 49%. Don't forget he's loved. Don't let the media fool you. You are not alone. <laughs> it's coming. That's going to be the line. This is one of the best State of the Union addresses that I've ever seen. If that doesn't move you, I don't know if you love this country the same way I do. 
I wonder who wrote this speech because it's amazing. And lastly, best accomplishment in less than three years in office. And it's actually true, folks. He's a fucking buffoon. He says a lot of bad shit. The media, I could play you sound bites, so they're trying to twist it. There's a few of them out there that it was Obama who got the economy this way, but they can't even sell it because it's bullshit. So let's listen to Chris Steyerwalt, and we're going to come into Iowa. And there are three ways they did this. We're going to start with the first one. It's racist fault. It's because America's racist. That's why the Dems can't run a caucus. I should you not. I can't even make this shit up if I wanted to. The second one is it's Trump's fault. That one's expected. And lastly, they finally, the media, as they're going through the stages of grief, that here's the, the party that impeached the president, says he's unfit. They can't even run another one. And they're getting caught again, rigging election against Bernie Sanders for like the second goddamn time in less than five years. Oh, it's, they just, they go into the grief, folks. It's fucking racist, Trump, and then it's finally, okay, the Democrats, yeah, they fucking Thoughts suck. on all of it. Well, what a unworthy government we have. How unworthy of the people uh, of this great nation. How unworthy of the great American people to have this, right? I won't shake her hand. I'll rip up his speech. I dislike the State of the Union as an institution. I think it's the, I think it's the wrong thing. Uh, I don't think it works anymore. But just the fact that they can't even get through this, just the fact that these supposed adults can't even get through this is just. Uh, somebody said it was beneath the dignity of something. Well, you know, it's beneath the dignity of a fine people in a great republic to have human beings who can't uh, even shake hands or get through one speech without being partisan children. Yeah, and and I I want to say this again because. Vice President Pence didn't shake hands with the president. He's standing right next to Nancy Pelosi. He didn't extend his hand. I'm not so, going to Zapruder from it. I'm not going to Zapruder. It's matter. not the Kennedy assassination. I don't really care. Maybe the, uh, the president didn't see her. Blah, 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 blah. We blah. don't know. We don't we know. Don't that know. was just my point. Here's something that we do know, though. The list of Democrats who either boycotted or walked out of the State of the Union. Here it is. We can put it up on the screen. Um, my big question in all of this is why do you boycott, Chris? Well, if I was in Congress, uh, it would be funny, but uh, if I was in Congress, whatever party I was in, I would always boycott the State of the Union because it's a terrible institution. Uh, it, uh, the, the president comes of whatever party, and then we score whether you stood up or sat down or what you did or whatever. It's just, you know, uh, Woodrow Wilson, the worst president of the 20th century, reinstituted the practice of delivering the address in person. Uh, and then it was a daytime normal affair. It was okay. And then Lyndon Baines Johnson. Uh, who needed to put a stamp of authority on his presidency, turned it into a primetime address in 1964 as he was running for president. It's a terrible institution. It should go away. America mm. needs to not have this anymore. Uh, but, you know, it is one of the ways that the American public, Chris, just to push back a little bit, gets to hear where we really are. You don't think it's that anymore. Uh, I don't think it does that. I don't think it comes close to doing that. And again, they can't get through it without turning it into another idiotic partisan spat. I mean, when so you talk about the people who walked out, Tim Ryan, who had run, wanted to, uh, to, to run and win against Nancy Pelosi as Speaker of the House, that didn't work out. Jim McGovern, Ilan Omar, Rashida Tlaib. Um, it, it's just short of, I mean, the way it visually looks is short of watching kids throw their toys out of the crib. 
and I won't participate in it. I'm not. I don't care. I don't care what these people do. I will not Ooh. participate in caring. I decline. I decline to give these people in both parties what they want, which is to pay attention to them being uh, uh, being small-minded. Uh, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer had the Democratic response and brought up impeachment. The president, as I was told by White House Deputy Press Secretary Hogan Gidley yesterday, did not bring up the word impeachment. Here's the, uh, here's the rebuttal last night. Your reaction. So I thought the president's speech was one of the best that he's given. Uh, I thought that was one of the best rebuttals I've ever seen. I thought she did a really good job. I thought Trump's speech as a speech was one of the best things he's ever delivered. That was one of the very best rebuttals of either party that I've seen. Uh, she... Uh, delivered it well, the scale was right, the proportion was right. Uh, I thought both parties did themselves very well. In a process that you say is really gone. Yeah, which I just won't, I won't care about the stupid stunts that people do because that's what they, that's what they want. So there, you don't pay attention to your, you don't pay attention to your kids when they're throwing a tantrum. I won't pay attention to partisans when they do the same. <laughs> okay. Chris Steyerwalt, Steyer is on fire. Good to see you today. Thank you. Poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. Come fly with me. Let's fly. Let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly. Let's fly away. 44%. That was the number in 2016. Um, Democrats have long leaned on President Trump being a motivator mm -hmm. for voters. Those numbers don't bear that out. Should, should that concern Democrats? Yes, but I think for a different reason than a lot of folks probably will think. And maybe I'll be the only person to say this today. The, the Iowa caucus is essentially the perfect example of systemic racism. 91% of the voters in Iowa are white. The reason why you see a drop in turnout, I'm just speculating here, it could be perhaps that white children are not in the cages. So when you're talking about the tangible pain that black and brown people are feeling, they feel a sense of urgency because their kids are being put in cages, right? And so if you have 91% white electorate, that sense of urgency may not be reflected in the turnout numbers. I'm not saying that's the reason for this. No. It could be a factor. Yeah, I mean, Maya, I, I've always said that there there is a defense that something is simply not bad enough to warrant this extreme remedy and you can walk through that explanation but you have to then own logically that you're inviting future offenses precisely because you're not removing and you're not punishing uh... lamar alexander's taking the position basically that if you go agree to mow somebody's lawn for twenty bucks and they stiff you the way to get whole to get the money you're old is to go mow their lawn again next weekend <laughs> and that doesn't work very well logically so there's an old Christian joke, and it's Satan's on one side of the fence and Jesus is on the other. And you walk off to, with your leader, depending on which side of that fence you're on. The person who sits on the fence, Satan comes back for the person on the fence. And he says, why? I didn't pick a side. And, the per and Satan says, but it's my fence. So that's essentially what Lamar Alexander is saying, is I'm going to be the fence sitter. Mm. And to your point, you, you sent out a tweet over the weekend that was really important. It was, was a woman, it when I was congratulating Kansas City on the... The other The important. other one. <laughs> the state of Kansas. Which was right. the woman who is 
has advanced cancer yes, this and is stole $100 of food to feed her family, and she is going to serve 10 months in jail. Yes. 10 months in jail. You tell the American public, Lamar Alexander, which is worse and who should suffer the consequences of our justice system. And y quiero que nos muestres un poquito porque es sí. bastante, en verdad que es muy fuerte lo que ustedes han hecho. Han instalado una jaula acá con, con una grabadora de las voces de los niños en la frontera. Sí, eh, las voces que están dentro de estas jaulas son gritos de niños exactamente recientes que todavía siguen en estas jaulas y se nota, esto es exactamente una réplica de lo que se ve en la frontera, mayormente en lo que se ven que se llaman perreras. Incluso los niños están cubiertos con el mismo papel que, que les dan como, como cobijas, ¿no? Claro, o sea, y más porque ahorita estamos en una ciudad donde hace mucho frío, estamos parados, y literalmente esto es lo que se siente en esas, en esas este, jaulas, se siente este frío, se ve a los niños echados así, y es, es un dolor tener que ver que nadie todavía ha podido hablar sobre inmigración y, el, y lo importante que es hablar sobre esto. Muchísimas gracias, Lucía, por apoyar a nuestra comunidad y traer este mensaje tan importante. Bueno, pues eh, te cuento que acabamos a seguir reportando durante todo el día en estas elecciones que son tan importantes para toda nuestra comunidad. Who knows what's going to happen, but we know what has to change. Okay, yeah. stuff needs to change because it's not it's not working the way that it should. And after everything we saw with Stacey Abrams, we should be really careful about how we the, do the all of this. The worst is that it makes voters distrust our process, yes, and that does. to me is the worst part that, of this whole thing. Oh, yeah, I heard that the, yeah. the, 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 the Trump Jr. and his brother was saying that this is you have to watch the Democrats in November because they'll be cheating. I mean, come on, look in the mirror, <laughs> you two, yeah. two crews. Yeah. You know, give me a break. They said. That. Yes. yes, but look at the source. Check the source. Stop yourselves, the boys. Brothers have it's it's unfucking believable. I mean, that is like the go-to in the media. America's racist. We got to protect the Democrats. And the reason why the Democrats don't win, or the reason why the Democrats don't get shit done, or they fail, it's racist. It's Trump. It's racist. It's racist. It's racist. It's, it's always fucking racist. I, I don't understand how the fuck everything could be goddamn racist. I just don't. It's it's fucking comedic. Chris Tyne, and this was all from yesterday. 36 hours, Iowa reporting only 71% of Monday's caucus results. Almost as if, even after its reforms, the Iowa Democratic Party still does not want you to know how many people voted for each candidate. You figure this out. They still haven't released the results. The way Iowa results are being slowly dripped out over the course of a week to say nothing of which results came out first is legitimately disgraceful. What are Iowa Dems hiding? Something big. None of their twaddle comes close to explaining 71% of the votes from just 1,700 sites. Two kids with an Excel spreadsheet could have done it. And they really could have. I mean, they could have just put this together and counted with their fucking fingers. CBS News. This goes with the first soundbite you heard. Republicans gloat over Iowa caucus. People's response. When Republicans screw up, that's a story. When Democrats screw up, the Republican reaction is a story. Excuse me, CBS. I believe the AP style book approved term is pounced. <laughs> so, with them going into twist, you know, just twisting themselves to say something is racist, they then went into, well, goddammit, it's Trump's fault because he keeps running his mouth.
The enemy is the guy in the Oval Office who thinks there were good people on both sides of Charlottesville. Yes. The enemy is a guy in the Oval Office who just got a permission slip to cheat in presidential <laughs> elections. Yes. The enemy is a guy who called his generals dopes and losers mm -hmm. who he didn't want to go into battle with. That is the enemy. And I am nauseous when I see Democrats fight amongst themselves. And I know that Republicans get no say. I've said I'll vote for if y'all pick an automobile, I will vote for it. But I, I feel so wary when I see these really, really intense fights around someone trying to help y'all win. Can no, I tell you what Republicans would do? A Republican would take Mike's money and say, help me kill Trump. Exactly. The House has also tried to do a lot as far as election security, and it's gotten roadblocked in the Senate. As long as we're talking 2020, is it going to become more challenging for Democrats to talk about the importance of election security when look what's just happened in Iowa in the last 24 hours. Well, obviously, uh, we're disappointed in the fact that they didn't have a timely result. The most important issue, of course, is that they be accurate at the end of the day so people have confidence in them. Uh, but no, election security is vital uh, in order to protect uh, free and fair elections. And uh, that is why uh, I'm continuing to press for a bipartisan bill here in the United States Senate, a bill I co-sponsored with Senator Marco Rubio, other Republicans and Democrats. It's called the Deter Act. It's designed to make sure we state out front that if Russia or any other country gets caught interfering in our elections again, there will immediately be very swift and very tough penalties on the Russian economy in order to prevent that interference in the first place. And if there's one thing I hope everyone agreed to from uh, the trial is that, that we do need to protect our country from foreign interference. Uh, of course, we have a president who is spewing the propaganda of Putin with respect to Ukraine interfering in 2016 when all our intelligence agencies say it's Russia. But that just highlights the importance of moving forward on this important issue of protecting our elections against Russian attacks uh, and other foreign well, we have two major political parties in this country, and we've seen the wholesale corruption of the Republican Party. Uh, we've seen it immolate over these over these last couple of years, become absolutely a principleless vessel. So the Democratic Party is called, in my view, at this hour to be the sentinel of American democracy as an institution. It has an awesome responsibility in this moment of time, and that's to put a candidate forward who can repudiate Trumpism and beat Donald Trump in November. Now, I think that the angst is properly placed considering a Sanders candidacy in a red-hot economy, whether Democrats in Iowa believe that socialism is better than capitalism or not. The country we live in, the United States of America, my view would be that the sociopath beats the socialist every day of the week and twice on Tuesdays in November. And so the American people and the oldest constitutional republic in the world will have to decide, do we want to have at the head of our country a president or do we want to have a king? Do we want to have an emperor? Do we want to have somebody who sits above the law? Do we want to have somebody who is unaccountable to the institutions that from the beginning of the country have said that no institution, no person in the country is above the law. That's what we fought a revolution for. And so there's a fundamental question that now sits 
on the table 11 months before an election. But make no, no mistake, at the, at, the, at the aftermath of this, when he is acquitted, there will never, ever have been an American president with the power that Donald Trump possesses right now in this moment. Not FDR in the Second World War, not Lincoln in the Civil War. No president is as powerful as Donald John Trump in this hour as we get ready to see his acquittal play out. Listen, you're the motherfuckers trying to rig it so nobody knows that Bernie came in second place, which came out by yesterday. And butt leg barely beat him, and Biden's in fourth place. You're the ones letting it get suppressed again that the Democrats are rigging another election. There's a brand new conspiracy theory out there being promoted by top Dem official Iowa that says Trump supporters are responsible for the delay. Scoop. Trump supporters, this is Tyler Pager. Trump supporters flooded a hotline used by Iowa Precinct Chair to report Democratic caucus results after the telephone number was posted online, worsening delays in the statewide rally, a top state Democrat told party leaders. According to two participants on the call, Ken Sager, a state Democratic Central Committee member, was among those answering the hotline on caucus night and said people called in and expressed support for Trump. The phone number became public after people posted the photos online. Another article, media accuse Trump of voter suppression for calling Iowa rigged. Well, it's true. It was done by, um, uh, let's see, Jim Scudo. Of course, you know he's going to die. Beyond the delay, the most alarming story are coordinating a false claims by Trump surrogates. The vote is rigged. Susan Hennessy, CNN. Dean Obadiah, CNN. Uh, Iowa is an unmitigated ass disaster, but also the conspiracy theory. If you think Trump or his Russian BFF Putin are behind Iowa disaster, it's only reasonable given we know both Trump and Russia hate American democracy. He's a reporter on CNN. Really. Tom Perez, this is a dark day for democracy, but we've seen dark days before and all of them have one thing in common. They come to an end. The era of Donald Trump is no exception. He's in charge of the DNC. That's a good guy right there. Andrew H. Scott, per CNN just now, Biden campaign reportedly mulling seeking court injunction because he got his ass kicked. Mother Jones, let's not forget Mitch McConnell has steadfastly refused to allow meaningful election security legislation on the Senate floor. The media was an overdrive, man. We got to spin this. That it's the, de- the Republicans' fault because we got to get these Democrats elected. God damn it, Julie Bolsman. Police sites are re- ready to for tech. Neither are the workers, says Kevin Ruse. The people who work at them are volunteers, and many are. How can I put it delicately? Members of the generation that still refer to the TV remote as the clicker. So it's hey boomers. <laughs> it's fucking. They go in and talk about how they're not tech-savvy. Matt Pierce, with the benefits of night's sleep, a lot of hand-wringing about the Iowa results feel overwrought. In 2016, it took a month for California to count up its primary ballots. A month. The bigger issue is that we expect to have a media narrative last night, and we don't. Thread. While everyone is waiting on Iowa caucus results, let's take a look at what the count process will look like on March 3rd. And it's a long one that California is going to be way worse. Lee Fang. 
Three different sources say a firm called Shadow developed the Iowa Dem Caucus app. They haven't responded to comment. Neither is the Iowa Dem Party. The firm is paid by both the Nevada and Iowa Democratic Party. Disclosure show also by Mayor Pete Buttleg's campaign. He's paying for this. There's no evidence Robbie Mook was involved in the development of the app. David Pluff, however, is on the board. HuffPost's Roland Bullard is confirming the shadow that created the app. The Democrats are trying to remind the country why they have no business leading anything. They succeeded. It sounds like one thing they are blaming for the mess delay is their fancy new app the DNC contracted with Shadow Inc. Shadow Inc., what a name. Kevin Gonzalez did some digging at Shadow Inc., and it's quite revealing. I found these all over the Internet. I'm not the only one sharing the screenshot, but it seems important that this get around to many people as possible. This is about page for Shadow Inc., which was contracted to make an app. No staff name. The outfit is exclusively secretive. He dug deeper. Deeper. <clears throat> While they may not list themselves on their own website, staff profiles can be found on LinkedIn. I'll share some details. Thanks to Katie Kafta Hemingway for screenshot from LinkedIn. Ann Rao. Yeah, that's AOCs. James Hickey, Christina Davis, Susan Cabrea, Xavier Monroe, Charlotte Adams, Sarah Shabola, Isabella Kate Wilson, Isabella Bozabuga. Gerald DeMauro, CEO of Shadow Inc. In 2015, he was senior product manager for Hillary Clinton's campaign. And in 2016, he was in charge of the tools used by volunteers. He worked as an intern for Elliot Engel. These are all Demi's. Anna Rowe was special assistant CDO for Hillary Clinton in 2016. She worked for Merlin Intelligence. We used tools to identify money laundering. She also was an intern at USAID for three months. And we know her as a severe lefty. James Hickey, COO of Shadow Inc. He was an engineer manager for Hillary's campaign. Sarah Shabola is the director of organizing. She was an organizing director for Hillary. These are all Hillary flax. So those are some of the people that work at the company that made the app. I don't have a conspiracy. Anyone accusing me of promoting conspiracies, trying to promote conflict. All I believe is there should be transparency around who the fuck is doing this. And why is Mayor Pete financing it? Dean Obadiah, like many others on the left, have been completely broken by the Trump presidency. What sort of lunatic blames Russia? Mueller report told U.S. interfered in our 2016 election in a sweeping systematic fashion. Why? Simple. The Russian government perceived it would benefit for a Trump presidency. Seems like a good time to remind people that Trump and Mitch McConnell opposed measures to further secure our election. Russia did it. It's true. Liberals rarely disappoint. They have become even more entertaining under Trump and slightly disconcerting. It can't be good for someone to go around thinking Russia's out to get him every second. Maura Barrett. New statement from Iowa Democrats. While the app was recording data accurately, it was reporting out only partial data. Maggie Haberman. One thing to consider amid the caucus snafu. The president has thrown a cellar on the distrust of institution. And this is one another one. He has highlighted the Dem Party ill around the caucus and tweets. It is a contrast to a violent silence on the Romney-Santo mess. We might have a winner. Everyone in the New York Times hell-bent on blaming everyone but the Democrats for this mess. They are broken. With these partial results, 
It looks like Joe Biden could kiss any hope of an Iowa victory goodbye. And I don't care what you say. That's why it went to shit. We even have a soundbite I won't play of a conservative being harassed. In fact, I'm going to play it. Here's a conservative being harassed out in Iowa. Now! Hi, Kelby. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you? Good. She works for America Rising, which is a conservative super PAC. Her name's Kelby. It's not a conservative super yeah. PAC, but that's okay. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good. What are you doing here today? I'm hanging out. I'm checking out the parade. Why? Because I wanted to. Because I'm here. Because why? Because what are you, climate's why are you important here? to you? Why are you here? Because climate's important to you? Why are you here? Please turn around. Go back to the street. Go back to Fifth Avenue. Is climate important to you, Kelly? Fifth Avenue. It is. There are a lot of, pro- you know, solutions. Good. What's the here? most important thing? Why are you What do you here? think our first solution should be? You know, I'm not running for office. I'm talking to you. What do you think our first solution <laughs> would be? Yeah, but you're going to be a constituent. I need to know what's important to you. Well, you can talk to other constituents. Why are you here? What should we do first to combat the climate crisis? That's a great question. What do you think? What should we do first? What do you think? What should we do first, Kelly? What do you think? So, what else are you doing here? What do we want? Why is it important for you to record people? Why are you in a What's that? Why are you in a Because I care about people. To combat the climate crisis. What do you think? I don't know. What should we do? What do you think? What do you think? I take my ideas from you. Know, if you would take a step back, I wasn't getting in your personal space, but you're getting in mine. So, so what should we do? What do you think? I don't know. What do you? Well, that's great. I'd like you to put the camera away. Okay, it's a free country. That's all right. I'll just call the police because there's plenty around here. Okay, great. Yeah, they'll talk to you. That's awesome. fine. Let's just go find one. You want to come with me? No, that's okay. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're nice people. They're, they're fucking melting down. New York Time graphics. We combed through the Iowa Democratic Party's release of caucus results and found errors in more than 100 precincts. Oh, my God. According to the New York Times analysts, more than 100 precincts reported results that were internally inconsistent, that were missing data, or were not possible under the complex rules of the Iowa caucuses. These mistakes will be corrected, but every previous Iowa Democratic caucus probably had just as many errors, but because the vote counts were never really released, everybody could not check it. Kudos to Bernie for demanding they release the votes this year. Why don't people trust the Democratic Party, Jesse asked. Why don't they? Why is there low turnout? Why is there general apathy for the people who do vote? People rightfully don't trust the system with all these accidents. I didn't vote in Iowa, but wouldn't feel confident if I did. So, two sound bites. First one, finally, after all this process and saying it was racist, it was Trump's fault, they finally start digging the dams. And then the last, I'm going to leave a little break. You'll hear a little airtime with nothing in it. MSDNC says, hey, it's okay, Dems. Everything's going to be all right. This morning, the two chief political exports of Iowa are uncertainty and embarrassment. Does that create chaos that helps the president 
spin a narrative that the Democrats don't know what they're doing? I would imagine that the White House, they are doing the hula today because it does look like a hot mess for the Democrats. Does it, it does, what does it say that the Democrats couldn't get something so important right, right out the gate? Some Republicans are already seizing on last night's caucus mishap to mock Democrats. Take, for example, what Donald Trump Jr. tweeted, quote, everyone's really excited about the prospect of turning over our entire health care system to you guys, he said about Democrats, arguing that if they can't even get an election done, how could they run the country? Yeah. Yep, it seems the jokes are going to start writing themselves. Thank you very much. President Trump is also appearing to rejoice over the confusion in Iowa. Short time ago, he tweeted this. The Democrat caucus is an unmitigated disaster. Nothing works, just like they ran the country. In a tweet this morning, President Trump tried to take advantage of all this chaos, saying what happened in Iowa was a big win for him. The real winner here, the results are in, is Donald Trump. Yeah. Yes. I mean, how is he not the winner from this? The White House today, Terry, they're saying to the Democrats, keep doing what yeah. you're doing. Right. Yeah. Well, I think they've been saying that for a while yeah. at the White House. Uh, this party needs to, to wake up and... and Make sure that we talk about things that are relevant to people. We need to go back to 2018, where we had good, diverse, strong candidates that had real connections to the community and talked about real things. We don't need to become the British Labour Party. That's not that's not that's a bad thing. It, it, things are going well over there. But look at the British Labour Party. I mean, we're, we're like talking about he, people voting from jail cells. All right. We're talking about not having a border. I, I mean, come on, people. Every day people are out there struggling. We're trying to get votes in Northern You're saying, and you're, saying you, you're concerned that you consider Bernie Sanders uh, for open borders and for uh, uh, well, incarcerated no, people voting? He said that we should give people a ticket. All right? I'm not I'm saying what, what he said. If you read Ron Brownstein, he's a $35 trillion in spending. Or read all of the, the things. I'm, I'm saying, of course, I would vote for him. But I don't, want, I don't want the Democratic Party of the United States to be the Labor Party of the United Kingdom. Jeremy, they were all the Sanders people were taking pictures wishing Jeremy Coburn the best. Oh, and they were mistaken. They were very mistaken, yes. <laughs> yeah, and I don't want to go down that path. Okay, all I've got for you, James, is Claire. Hey, I, love, exactly. I, I, just, yeah, I just love you. <laughs> I love you, too. And your analysis... If you look at the, the, the press corps went AOC crazy in, in the Iowa caucuses of liberal, it's too, it's too, whatever, to combine the, the left side of the party. And I don't, I don't consider myself a liberal, by the way. I'm not a moderate. But they look, you know, Senator Klobuchar and, uh, you know, Buttigieg got a lot of votes. And we got to decide what we want to be. Do we want to be an ideological cult or do we want to have a majoritarian instinct? To be a majority. Breaking this morning, the Iowa caucuses. They're what's breaking because the system is actually broken. We don't have results, but we have news about why we don't have uh, results. And I'm only being sarcastic because this is an epic failure by the Iowa State Democratic Party. Who won the Iowa caucus? And that's a key question. Who won Iowa? We don't know who won. We still do not know who won. We still don't know the numbers. Will we know who wins here in New Hampshire? Before we ever find out who won in Iowa. Seems the jokes are going to start writing themselves. Look at the results. <laughs> exactly. Now, they are. Out of zeros. How are they going to run the democracy? Wow. Breaking overnight. Caucus chaos. 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 Chaotic chaos. A real debacle. Not a good look for the Democrats. The real winner here, the results are in, is Donald Trump. We don't know who won, but we know who lost, and it's Iowa. This morning, the two chief political exports of Iowa are uncertainty and embarrassment. 
Anderson, all these candidates, yeah. they want to go on television. They want to deliver speeches. Uh, they don't want to do it in the middle of the night. They want to do it now, uh, and they're getting zero results so far. Yeah, middle of the night. It could be in the morning. Uh, uh, back now with the panel. Van, you're, you're, you were just saying I, I just, I just, I'm just looking on Twitter. Uh, you got a caucus secretary from a precinct who's just been, he says he's been on hold for an hour. He's just going to tweet out. They're just starting to tweet he's out. He's been on hold for an hour with for an the hour with Democratic with, Party. With the Democratic Party, he can't get a response. So they're just starting to tweet out their results. This is starting to look like a debacle. Wait, who is this tweeting? This, this is Sean, Sean Sebastian uh, on Twitter. He's just tweeting out his results. He can't. He's, I'm the caucus secretary. What's, oh, what's his job? Where, where uh, is he? he I'm the caucus secretary for Story County Precinct One One. I've been on hold for over an hour to report the results. We have six delegates. And he just reports out his first alignment and the delegacy. I don't know if it's true, if it's true or not. I'm just saying that you're starting to see a level of desperation set in. It's starting to look like a debacle. Well, well, the word from the party, which I just got uh, from somebody working for the party, and they did just put out the update, is that they only have 25 percent coming in, right? As, as they were saying, why? Right. Why again, you uh, again, and, and let's say again, it was 83.4 yes. yeah. percent uh, back in 2016. Why? And also, if you have 25 percent, why not release 25 percent? Right. That's right. There well, are no machines. There are no ballots to count. This should actually be an easier process than a conventional election. It's a bunch of and votes. everybody right. who was in those individual caucuses knows what the result was. This is entirely doable. It's frankly the third category I expect that's probably causing the complication when they're trying to do the translation mm -hmm. because they know how many initially came through the door and stood in the respective corners. They know how many then moved into someone else's category. It, the common sense dictates it's the third uh, calculation. But didn't they practice? Like, did they do five <laughs> runs running up to this They've evening? always, they've always had to uh, translate it into delegate equivalent. So... I don't it's know. It's not easy. It's not easy, but... Overnight, the Iowa Democratic Party saying it found inconsistencies in the reporting of three sets of results from the caucuses, saying the delay was the result of a reporting issue and not due to a hack or an intrusion involving the party's new results app. In other words, the app was not hacked. Caucus officials saying it was confusing and difficult to download. NBC senior legal and investigative correspondent Cynthia McFadden, who has been literally up all night looking into <laughs> what happened here. So, Cynthia, what did you find out? Well, I think the headline is it wasn't the Russians in this case. It appears to be the Democrats who did it. Where if there's some technical problems that they're not disclosing, we could be you know, very late on this. I mean, I just think that the idea of the caucus has failed to meet the viability yeah. threshold. Okay? <laughs> the, idea, the, the idea of the caucus itself has failed to meet the viability threshold because we've all been saying the whole time, why Iowa in the first place? It's 90% white. It, you know, when you have, have a, a party as diverse as this to be in a state that's not diverse is terrible. People need to be able to vote and go home. I don't like caucuses in the first place. But then if you can't even deliver on your one job, Nia, you, Nia Malika said it exactly right. You only have one job, Iowa. Governor you got Republic, one job. Governor, you've talked about this before. You and I have talked about this. How would you like to see, I mean, where, what state would you like to have come first? Virginia. Well, I, first of all, I, <laughs> Virginia, Virginia, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but I think we should start regionally. I mean, you should do three or four or five states. Yeah. You shouldn't have one. shouldn't be Iowa. shouldn't be New Hampshire. You look at these entrance data, 90% of the caucus scores today were white. Well, if you take the whole landscape of the election, it's 60%. So it's way skewed out of line. You know, the I would get rid of all the caucuses, first of all. Well, they they're mostly just, are. Gun. They're, they're undemocratic. As our NBC News political reporters put it, Democrats have shot all of the most powerful arrows in their quiver, save one, the voters. 
That is raising the stakes on this year's elections even more for Democrats. But our team is reporting this morning that some of the president's critics are worried the current 2020 field is not up to the task of essentially punishing President Trump at the ballot box come November. I want to bring in senior digital politics reporter Alex Seitzwald, who has that reporting for NBC News from Manchester, New Hampshire. And Alex, explain this and how it plays into the current moment that we're in. Yeah, Hallie. Well, I'm hearing a lot of anxiety from Democrats. I mean, just look at last week. You had Donald Trump come to Des Moines, do this huge rally, bigger than any of the rallies that any Democrat in the, something in the state had. And then a few days later, this massive uh, catastrophe with the Democratic caucuses in Iowa. Uh, and then just a lot of voters who are feeling resigned, feeling anxious, concerned that nobody in their party can live up to Donald Trump. They, they worry about any of them going up against him on the debate stage. They think each of them together might have the right pieces, but they're not seeing clearly who could be the one person to go up against him. It's almost comedic. It's almost comedic if it wasn't sad, because these are the people that say Republicans are all racist, we can't run the country, and we are the country, we are the people that care about minorities and everything, but if you listen to this whole fucking podcast, they don't give a fuck about minorities getting good employment. They still say fucking economy's horrible. And they're doing all this crooked shit to make sure a white guy beats another white guy. I mean, that's what it's about. They didn't want Pete Buttleg to win. They didn't want it to be known that Pete Buttleg helped pay for the software that's getting Pete Buttleg to win in Iowa and screwing Bernie and that Biden can't even win the Iowa primary. He can't. That's just sad. So let's go to some more liberal shit. And, well, you know what? Let me put a bumper in there. Let's listen to liberal shit. I just like it because it's, you know, Price is right. Come on down! You're the next contestant on Liberal Shit! There's a story in Politico that I saw you responded to, and I just want to get your response to it here on air, uh, about six women of color that quit your Nevada campaign with complaints of a toxic work environment Mm -hmm. and tokenism. One of them uh, went on the record. I saw that you responded to that and apologized. What what do you want to say in response to uh, learning about that? You know, I I believe these women, uh, without any equivocation, And I apologize personally that they had a bad experience on the campaign. I really work hard to try to build a a campaign and a work environment where it's diverse and open and everyone is welcome and celebrated and gets to bring their whole self to work every day. But I'm also very aware that uh, racism and oppression in this country have left a long legacy. And it uh, creates the kind of toxicity where people, power structures, people take advantage of other people. It's something for which we have to be constantly vigilant and constantly determined to do better. 
I take responsibility for this, and I'm working with my team to address these concerns. That's Warren's reply to the article by Politico, not by conservatives. Women of color bolt Warren's Nevada campaign in frustration. Complaints, comments, advice, and grievances were met with an earnest shake of the head and progressive buzzwords, but not much else. Half dozen women of color have departed Elizabeth Warren's Nevada campaign and the run at to the state caucuses with complaints of toxic work environment in which minorities felt tokenized and senior leadership was at a loggerhead. Six staffers have left the roughly 70-person Nevada team since November during a critical stretch of the race. Three of them said they felt marginalized by the campaign, a situation they said didn't change or worsen after they took their concerns to superiors. During the time I was employed with Nevada for Warren, there were definitely something wrong with the culture. I filed a complaint with HR, but the follow-up I received left me feeling as though I needed to make myself smaller or change who I was to fit into office culture. And they're the people that care about color. How did she answer it? Oh, it's not me. It's America. America's just a racist fucking place. I can't help that. But I pander all the time that I will. I'll fix things for color people. But I don't. That's the left. They're all about appearance and talking, and it's all fucking horseshit. Here's Miami Elder. Well, Trump Trump team leaving Iowa look happy with new hats. Hey, Ben Carson, would you mind sitting in the middle of the picture? Sure, but why? No reason. So the picture is everybody on the team, and Ben Carson is taking a knee in the middle of the aisle. By the end, they called him a thing and all sorts of stuff. Ryan Savandra, Ben Carson's not a thing, he's a person. And then Don Jr. comes in, hi Claire, two problems with your treat. One, Dr. Ben Carson did not have a seat in this pick because he was sitting in first class with me. Dr. Carson's not a thing, he's a world-renowned life-saving neurosurgeon. Anyway, how's unemployment? Because she was a journo. Then we have articles like this, which I won't read because we're long today. Dear white people, the Super Bowl halftime show wasn't too sexy. You're too racist. The vitriol on social media regarding the show, particularly from Trump supporters, is ridiculous because we know the back they back a sexist and racist president. Journalist J- Garrett M. Graff tweeted, The Venn diagram of people complain about the indecency of the NFL halftime show and people who intend to vote real for re-elect Donald Trump. So... Basically, you're just all a bunch of fucking racists. Not that you... Hey, that's just inappropriate. It's too much. It's a bridge too far. But that's their answer for everything. You're a racist. If you don't agree with us, you're a racist. The Hill. Biden slams Trump's response to coronavirus. Hysterical, xenophobic, and fear-mongering. Now, understand, within this, there is some serious shit going on. But they attack it from different angles. There's a serious concern for global pandemic. China already realizes they've under-evaluated. Biden needs to get calculate, educated. Wouldn't want anyone to think we're not woke enough. Please infect our population. Amazing. They're so deranged, you actually made them come out pro-coronavirus. Now the Washington Post is looking for people and share their stories. This is an actual story. 
Have you seen or experienced any racism, xenophobia, or other forms of discrimination connected to the coronavirus? In Rome, a top conservatory suspended East Asian student. A newspaper in France issued a yellow alert. Around the world, reporters have chronicled an uptick in anti-Chinese sentiment. As the coronavirus continues to spread, so do fears over rising prejudice. Have you seen or experienced discrimination, racism, or xenophobia connected to this ongoing virus epidemic? The Washington Post wants to hear about you so we can make some clickbait. John Gabriel. Nah, mostly just coughing, high fever, and death. That's what I've witnessed. John Willoughby. How dare you not slavishly make out with the first coronavirus riddle corpse you see? Postmaster Hugsloth. Apparently the racism is such a problem, WAPO needs to coax it out of Twitter followers to find anything to report on. Yeah, I think I think the virus is like super racist. It seems to be predominantly affecting Chinese people. As someone of Chinese heritage, I believe we need a diverse panel to address the inherent privilege and bigotry of this vi- virus. I nominate you, Jennifer and Rubin. Somebody else. Scraping the bottom of the racism barrel. Yeah. Ed Jackson. Seen a lot of media outlets desperately trying to convince Americans that racism is running rampant due to this virus. Others than that, not a thing. No need. No, but I died. Maybe you can cover that. No, but I have seen those symptoms of suffering TDS. (laughs) And then finally, the worst part of a pandemic isn't potentially millions of deaths, but hurt feelings. Stinky T-Cat won. He was right on it. But that's just... Number one, DHS suspends global entry trusted traveler program to New York residents in response to sanctuary law. Because of the virus and other things, they said, okay, these people that live here just can't get their fast go-by anymore because you're just letting people do whatever you want. You're green-lighting people to come in anytime you want to. So... It's in line with this also because of the coronavirus. So Jessica Vaughn, DHS finally playing a little hardball with sanctuary barring New York residents from convenient trusted program due to egregious state law barring DHS. Anna Garicho. Cuccinelli told reporters today that 775,000 New Yorkers will lose their status in DHS administer expedited entry program this year following DHS refusal to accept renew applications because it can no longer access DMV records due to new New York law. Howard Dean. Yeah, they had meltdowns. More work for CBP at New York LaGuardia and JFK. How's that orange in the White House working for you guys these days? Maggie Haberman. DHS suspends global entry trusted traveler program. Hurting New York residents. That's how she wrote it. Sam Mitz, because Fox broke this news, it's worth noting their headline is misleading and will confuse a lot of people. Only new enrollment in the program are suspended. New Yorkers will existing trusted traveler program won't be affected. Wall Street Junior, Journal, DHS will immediately stop accepting new applicants from New York State residents to enroll or re-enroll in some agencies trusted traveler. TSA pre-check is not affected. New York residents can't sign up or renew enrollment trusted traveler, but they can't have the pre-check. Dean Obadiah, the racist. Let's be clear. Trump is not punishing New York for sanctuary cities or DMV records. Trump is punishing all in New York because the state attorney general is investigating him. Louis Romano, to all the constitutional law experts, is this constitutional? No. 
and he's not hurting all New York residents. But that that's how they wanted to twist it. Jamel Hill, add, considering I have all my important documents stashed in my Crown Royal bag, how could I do not partner with Crown Royal to celebrate black royalty for Black History Month? Follow Crown Royal as we celebrate those who show up in ways that matter. Cashing in on a race baiting. Gotta love that. David Hogg. Majority of the people that live in the United States are the descendants of Ill, illegal colonizer that committed a mass genocide. Then he tweeted, Lincoln was a really good president. Then he tweeted, we think we are divided today. Lincoln literally had to bring the country back together after an actual civil war where over half a million killed each other. Actually, I was not aware of the scope of how detrimental he was to so many Native Americans. He was not a really good president. And he got schooled by other liberals and people said, what the fuck? You own him now, Harvard. So, the racist goes on. Facebook policy classified denying trans identities as hate speech. Facebook declared in a term of service update that denying existence of people based on protected characteristic is a violation of the community standard on hate speech. Facebook updated the community standard a little fanfare this past December in a statement of social media giant explaining that it's forbidden to target a person or group of people on the basis of aforementioned protected characteristic or immigration status. But it's loopy, and what people are saying is this is their way of catching up to Twitter with the if you dead name somebody, you're fucked. Prager U video posted assertion in a caption that there are only two genders, period, and criticized Facebook dozen of alternative gender options while also criticizing gender theory on a scientific basis. Are we then to conclude that this is not the type of post Facebook is referencing? It is. They're gonna they're gonna classify that as hate speech just like Twitter. If you don't say there's ninety nine pronouns and a bitch ain't one, you're screwed. Then the short gay section. I thought I had the article, but I had it before. So when I said there's many angles on the coronavirus, we covered it last podcast, and I forgot about his task force is too white. Because <laughs> that matters. I mean, when you're fighting a virus, you don't need the best people for the job. You need a diverse group. And you can make sure you got to put it like Warren. Ask questions of a tranny before you put policy out. Because if you don't do that, well... You're just a human piece of garbage. (laughs) Jamela Jamil has come out as queer. I am going to just read her little screed, but so you understand she was put into a role to grade voguing. And people said, why do you have a brown lady who's not gay? And she got all criticized, so now all of a sudden she came out queer. Twitter is brutal. This is her little screed. This is why I never officially came out as queer. I added a rainbow to my name when I felt ready years ago, as it's not easy with the South Asian community to be accepted. And I always answered honestly with straight up ass about it on Twitter. But I kept it low because I was scared of the pain of being accused of performative bandwagon jumping over something that caused me a lot of confusion, fear, and turmoil when I was a kid. I didn't come from a family with anyone openly out. It's also scary as an actor to openly admit your sexuality, especially when you're already a brown female in your 30s. This is absolutely not how I want wanted it to come out. I'm jumping off this hell app for a while because I don't want to read mean comments dismissing this. You can keep your thoughts because everybody said, yeah, sure you are. Sure you are. You just want another chip in the game for the intersectionality game. I could say I was queer. 
you know, whatever. Thankfully, thankfully, my tenderloins have gotten away from her, and they're back to doing their show. Because I think it was more than me. When I went back and checked comments, it was more than me saying, why are you performing with this piece of shit? She's a piece of garbage. Then to prove that they really do hate you, and people just don't want to admit they hate you, ex-Clinton press secretary Joe Lockhart is live-tweeting President Trump's impeachment victory statement, and he made a gross comment about an orgasm. We assume the president and not his own at the same time. Joe Lockhart. It's the 21st century, and the president says, Elisa Stefanik was great to look at, but he was surprised when she opened her mouth and spoke. Here comes an orgasm. Then Joe, who's paid by CNN advance a conspiracy theory about President Trump lied about his visit to Walter Reed Hospital last year. People really should find an answer of why Trump had an unscheduled emergency trip to Walter Reed a few months ago. My guess is that's something to do with today's performance. That's CNN. So a conservative woman is disgusting. Then you have White House Press Secretary and prior to USA action from the Obama, Bill Burton. Was just trying, was just trying to peacefully Uber when his driver did the unthinkable. His driver turned on Donald Trump's post-acquittal victory speech. Well, poor Bill was just beside himself. Bill Burton, my Uber driver in L.A., is loving this speech. I've never listened to a Trump speech with a Trump supporter, and I do not like it. Yeah, Donald Trump's self-congratulatory, profane, and unkind words about Democrats should definitely offend the delicate sensibilities and brains behind Mitt Romney gave women cancer and killed her ad. That's the guy. People response, we offer our thoughts and prayers for you in this difficult time. I'm so sorry this happened to you. I'm sorry you're going through this. Just think of the band of brothers landing on Omaha Beach. If they survived that, you could survive this. Yeah. Then positive news. Two Virginia State Democrats join join Republicans to block a gun control bill proposed by Ralph Northam. The bill would have made it a felony for gun owners to recklessly have a loaded, unsecure firearm around that could endanger a minor. So they bashed him. But in sad news, District Attorney in Maine wants to start prosecuting people based on accusations and nothing else. A Maine prosecutor has vowed to prosecute people accused of sexual assault even there's not enough evidence to prove they committed the crime. She's a liberal. She's a female. And that's pretty much where the left's going anyway. You, If you're conservative and you're just accused, well, cancel fucking Christmas there, sweetheart. You are going to get charged. Regardless if it's true or false, we're going to take you down. Because that's what they do. That's what they do. To our This Is America, I was going to do some lighter fare, but uh, yeah. Well, I, let me do a lighter fare. I was going to do the goop laugh shit, but I'm not going to. Here is literally questions asked of Bernie Sanders last night. Tell me if this doesn't make you want to vomit. Good evening. I was wondering, why do you care so fervently about economic inequities? Um, well, maybe it starts with the family that I, my family. Uh, it starts with the fact uh, that my father came to this country without a nickel in his pocket. What do you think the young Bernie Sanders in Brooklyn in the 1940s would say 
if you could see where you are now? Yeah, those are debate questions. That's pretty bad. So our This Is America is Rush Limbaugh. And he got the Medal of Freedom. I saved it for the end. Because regardless of where you stand on this issue, the man has cancer. But the comments and conduct of the left is pretty fucking brutal. I spoke of it last podcast, but I wanted to wait because I knew it was going to get worse. And I had heard he was going to get the Medal of Freedom. So I assumed the left was going to act like the left. Um, This is just the media cut. The online cut on Twitter is way worse. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last sound bite. Like the media say when they are pushing liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. I got the strap. There were also gut punches of Democrats on health care and illegal immigration. Something you've never seen before, a Congressional Medal of Honor given out during the State of the Union for Rush Limbaugh, the talk radio host. That's certainly to be a controversial move that is getting a lot of attention online. Yeah, because it appears that this was a completely unprecedented move that just happened, and they're awarding that Presidential Medal of Freedom, not just in the chamber, but to someone as controversial and divisive in this country as Rush Limbaugh, who whose past comments on race, whose past comments on women are already making the rounds on Twitter. Uh, people are many offended by this, but you heard those applause inside that chamber, George. The Republicans in there see Rush as a very strong person in their party, and they were happy to see this happen. He has been a strong supporter of President Trump as well. But I will tell you that that Rush Limbaugh recognition probably undercut the entire thing. I mean, when you think about what Rush Limbaugh has meant for with his racist rhetoric. I mean, I feel like he, he gives with one hand and he takes with another. You honor a Tuskegee Airman and then you honor Rush Limbaugh. Like, that juxtaposition isn't lost on people. It is Black History Month, and I think it was probably right of him to recognize the history of African Americans in this country. But when you honor someone like Rush Limbaugh right after honoring someone who risked his life to fight for this country, I think African Americans know better. But, George, I, I must say that the divisions here were stark. Yeah. Seeing that african-american general uh... who was honored by the president tonight and then having rush limbaugh honored in the same way was just another reminder of just how divided the country truly is dazzle dazzle than i think we've ever seen it was it was the president trolling the democrats yes there was no impeachment with the rush honoring rush limbaugh in that moment at an event that was technically begun because the Speaker of the House invites the President to come to the House chamber to give this. Well, and the he complexity gives the medal. is also that Rush Limbaugh is yeah. battling no in a battle for his life but at the to moment. To do it in the House yes. floor was definitely a finger in the eye of Pelosi, finger in the eye of the and Democrats. Been- it was, there's a million ways that could have been done. Could have easily given, given it tomorrow to, to die, had it where it is friends and family. I mean, it's kind of awkward to do that in front of people you know that may may not be as interested in seeing it done that way. You know, do it in a little less divisive way. You do it at the White House. So, obviously, it was an intentional moment, almost probably hoping people get all worked up about it, which in some ways, you know, the Trump motto is just simply own the libs, and, and perhaps that's just a moment to do that. I don't understand. Now, I, you know, I am very sorry that Russia's ill. 
Because yes. you never want to wish yeah, bad cancer. stuff on people. That's stage yeah. four cancer. But I'm sorry. I thought that the Medal of Honor, freedom, 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 freedom. Uh, yeah. was supposed to go to people who actually did stuff. Well, went to Mother Teresa and Mother Rosa Parks. I didn't understand. You got a no. Tuskegee Airman sitting there, right next to him. You know. And how about if you're going to give? Uh, uh, the Medal of Freedom to someone who actually has made differences in the country and done all kind of stuff. How about giving it to Elijah Cummings' wife, and yeah. as a as a yeah, thank you for all of his yeah. stuff. Well, yeah. I mean, I just because he's playing to his base. And Rush Limbaugh, I used to work in radio. I actually worked underneath. Me I was, too. I was the mm -hmm. I, I was behind Sean Hannity on the radio mm -hmm. show I hosted. Mm -hmm. Rush was first. Mm -hmm. He has thirty three zero million listeners a day, which is an right. absolutely like to put it in perspective. This show averages around three. So like. The amount of influence he has in the country, especially with yes, conservatives and but Republican voters. what has he voters, done that merits the, the medal the of... paradigm of radio. Well, I mean, you know, the, the really the ironic thing is that there he is talking to the black community yeah. and gives Rush yes, the, the medal. And Rush Limbaugh spent a lot of Obama's tenure stinging, uh, what do you call him now? It was... Um, a lot of things. Barack the Magic Negro. Yeah. He said what a lot of awful things. He repeatedly he, plays that song. so racist and so misogynistic over the years. Yeah. To give Give him the, and what, who's next? Roger Stone? Yeah. How about giving it to him? Or Steve Bannon? And, and I don't think it was lost on the black community that he gave that honor to Rush Limbaugh during Black History Month. Right. Sitting on, next to. Sitting next to a Tuskegee okay. Airman. Yeah. On Rosa Parks Day. Yeah. While he was, Rush Limbaugh was a longtime birther during the yes. Obama administration. Right. Yes. Played that Barack the Magic Negro. And then well, the that's Bertha, NBA Melania, the, the other Bertha, put the thing put on the, him. So, She's a Bertha, you know, too. don't talk to me about what you've done for the black community. Think about this. Donald Trump gave the Presidential Medal of Freedom during Black History Month to yeah. Rush Limbaugh. I mean, I, I don't I don't know how else you surmise who Donald Trump is other to other than to say that that is the most perverse thing I think anyone would ever imagine would happen during Black History Month. But that is par for the course uh, for who Donald Trump is. Uh, so, Jim, we know that Rush Limbaugh has uh, cancer, advanced cancer. There is no question uh, that that will have a mitigating effect on how people judge him. I get the humanity uh, in that. However. He is known for a very specific um, world of demagoguery. And what about that decision? On the one hand, you're talking about the Tuskegee Airmen, and then you're giving the Medal of Freedom to Rush Limbaugh during Black History Month. And right, but how are you really deal. honoring criminal what justice the Tuskegee Airmen represents everybody, everybody, if you have you know, Rush Limbaugh in the reform. same... Something that happened to the State of the Union. You were awarded the Presidential uh, Medal of Freedom, which is the highest civilian honor by President Obama. Um, and I'm wondering, it was obviously a very emotional moment for you. I remember uh, the ceremony last night, President Trump awarded the same medal to Rush Limbaugh. I'm wondering what you thought when you learned about that. <laughs> Look. Rush Limbaugh spent his entire time on the air, dividing people, belittling people, talking about how, talking about blacks in ways, African-Americans in ways that, anyway, I do feel badly, and I mean this sincerely, that he's suffering from a terminal illness. So he has my empathy and sympathy no matter what his background is. But the idea that he, as a State of the Union, receives a, a, a medal that is of the 
highest honor that can be committed, given to a civilian, I find, um, quite frankly, driven more by uh, trying to maintain your right-wing political credentials than it is anything else. I mean, if you read some of the things that Russia said about people, their backgrounds, their ethnicity, how he speaks to them, I don't think he speaks, uh, I don't think he understands the American code, decency and honor. I, I just really, but look, uh, this is Donald Trump. There were also gut punches of Democrats on health care and illegal immigration. Something you've never seen before, a Congressional Medal of Honor given out during the State of the Union for Rush Limbaugh. The talk radio host, that's certain to be a controversial move that is getting a lot of attention online. Yeah, because it appears that this was a completely unprecedented move that just happened. And they're awarding that Presidential Medal of Freedom, not just in the chamber, but to someone as controversial and divisive in this country as Rush Limbaugh, who whose past comments on race, whose past comments on women are already making the rounds on Twitter. Uh, people are many offended by this. But you heard those applause inside that chamber, George. The Republicans in there see Rush as a very strong person in their party, and they were happy to see this happen. He has been a strong supporter of President Trump as well. But I will tell you that that Rush Limbaugh recognition probably undercut the entire thing. I mean, when you think about what Rush Limbaugh has meant for with his racist rhetoric, I mean, I feel like he, he gives with one hand and he takes with another. You honor a Tuskegee Airman and then you honor Rush Limbaugh. Like, that juxtaposition isn't lost on people. It is Black History Month, and I think it was probably right of him to recognize the history of African Americans in this country. But when you honor someone like Rush Limbaugh, Limbaugh right after honoring someone who risked his life to fight for this country. I think African-Americans know better. But George, I, I must say that the divisions here were stark. Yeah. Seeing that African-American general uh, who was honored by the president tonight and then having Rush Limbaugh honored in the same way was just another reminder of just how divided the country a powerful voice in conservative talk radio, delivering some difficult personal news to his listeners. I have been diagnosed with advanced lung cancer. Rush Limbaugh revealing that doctors discovered it last month after he experienced shortness of breath. The announcement from the polarizing personality drawing mixed reactions. We are all praying for the man who has literally paved the way for all of us, especially me. President Trump calling him a great guy and fantastic political talent, wishing him a speedy recovery. But others called for more reflection. Actor John Cryer tweeting he hopes Limbaugh gets the best medical treatment. And I hope that while he's doing it, he thinks about why he doesn't think poor people deserve the same thing. Yeah, Anderson, I mean, I think this was a state of the base speech, not a state of the union speech. The state of the Trump base is strong. The state of the union is deeply divided. That was on display tonight. And we're just getting some reaction uh, to what happened inside that hall. Uh, I, I will tell you, I talked to a White House official just a short while ago uh, responding to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi ripping up the president's speech as soon as he was finished right in front of uh, the vice president, Mike Pence. And this White House official said for such a really big night, she sure behaved pretty small. But I will tell you, Anderson, I talked to a Trump advisor just a short time ago, just a few minutes ago, who speaks with the president regularly, who said, you know, the president missed an opportunity here. He had a chance tonight with a deeply divided country watching to extend a bit of an olive uh, branch. And when Nancy Pelosi reached out to shake his hand, uh, he snubbed her. And in, in the words of this advisor, uh, that was a missed opportunity. And so I think this just really sets the stage, uh, as you all have been saying, uh, for the for the months to come. 
Uh, yes, the president had some heartwarming moments during this speech, but he was also engaging in some deeply divisive rhetoric uh, aimed at immigrants, aimed at Latinos. And while, yes, he was uh, trying to make appeals to the African-American community, it can't be forgotten that he was awarding the Medal of Freedom to Rush Limbaugh, who has a history of making uh, derogatory comments about African-Americans. And so I think, it, 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 you know, overall, it's a wash. And as David Axelrod was saying, uh, the base pays a lot more attention to what the president says at these rallies uh, than what they do at the State of the Union speech. And yeah, it was pretty ugly. Libs attack racist Rush Limbaugh. Language warning. Stephanopoulos called the owner honor a controversial move. His colleague Cecilia Vega added the divisive Limbaugh past comment on race whose past comments on women are already making the rounds on Twitter, may offended, be offended by this. NBC Meet the Press moderator Chuck Todd belittled the move on Donald Trump trolling the Democrats and sticking a finger in the eye of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Chris Cuomo questioned the appropriateness of honoring Limbaugh on the same stage as Tuskegee Airmen. You heard it up there. Acosta sparked longtime Limbaugh producer Bo Snoodley to go to his Twitter account to debunk Acosta and other liberal claims of racism. Celebrities also lo launched attacks on Limbaugh. Former CNN host and comedian D.L. Hughley disparaged Limbaugh for his Instagram. Rush Limbaugh awarded the Medal of Freedom. Tell me, when has a rich racist white dude not been free? I loathe this fucking man. Uh... Uh, Cuomo already caught uh, Urban Radio Network. Rush Limbaugh, someone whose birther received the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and I watched Twitter, and people were very upset. And does this all equate to the President's inclusive society? I'm not going to read Acosta. Uh, Pierre Thomas, seeing that African-American general who was honored by President Trump tonight and having Rush Limbaugh honor in the same way was just another reminder of just how divided this country truly is. Um, New York Times editorial board can't find the words to express my pain and disgust to seeing Rush Limbaugh receive the nation's highest honor in a house that my ancestors built. But in their name, I say that this is not the end. We will overcome this hate and live to see a better day. This too shall pass. Uh, Reza Aslan, a man who said he was going to punch young kids in the face. Ask yourself the simple question. Is the world a better place or worse place with Rush Limbaugh in it? You heard Joe Behar. Um, Rush Limbaugh wore the Medal of Freedom. Uh, that was D.L. Hughley. Uh, Rob Reiner, only one thing to say about Limbaugh getting a Medal of Freeman, Freedom. I loathe this fucking man. John Cryer, I hope Rush Limbaugh gets the best medical treatment and recovers quickly. I hope that while he is doing it, he thinks about why he doesn't think poor people deserve the same. John Fuselog, I wish Limbaugh a safe and rapid recovery, which also includes a secret empathy transplant. Yeah. Jennifer Rubin, this is the hypocritical. <clears throat> Waiting for ACLU and NAACP and other to denounce giving presidential honor to a racist, misogynistic birther. By the way, this, the thing Dems should hit is awarding a high honor to a birther, racist, misogynistic. Exactly. No outrage. This exactly captures my feeling about acts R's put on the media enable it. Trump's great lie is convincing Americans that white males, no matter what their conduct, Brett Kavanaugh, convicted war criminals, and most of all himself, are victims of elites. The mentality of grievance propagates effectively by Limbaugh is nothing more than a cover for white nationalism. She just tweeted all day. It's a national disgrace that a birther racist and misogynistic has gained this award. Why not give it to David Duke? There you go. Yeah, bring David Duke into it. 
Tired of winning. You're a disgrace. You know this is a lie. What have you become? Also, does Jen Rubin read Jen Rubin? Side-by-side tweets. It's a national disgrace. David from John Paderist. One way would be to stop calling Rush and other racists. This is back when she was a conservative. Rush Limbaugh was involved in birtherism, racism, misogyny controversy a year before Rubin tweeted any of this. Ben Politics. Isn't this sort of dopey, like making Limbaugh into a boogeyman or the Chamber of Commerce? Daily Caller. Perfect Rush Limbaugh congratulates President Obama and UBL for continuing Bush's administration policies. Bravo, Brian York. Limbaugh. Ron Paul is going to destroy this party. This is nuts on parade. I can do this nearly everything she says. And don't sell me some line about how she's seen the light since then. She used to say this stuff. Uh, surprising number of accomplishments he does claim belong to Obama. That's Jennifer Rubin. Obama economic plan raised energy prices. They're bad for America. That's what she used to say. It's not that there has been no job growth, but rather that it's been insufficient and hampered by Obama policies. How to respond to Obama's immigration power grab. Ruben thinks we're all political goldfish living in a five-minute memory time window and don't remember what happened before that or what she said before. Yeah. I could go on. You want some more? We're going to get Reiner. Carol Lenning. Uh, attempted to fact-check Rush's emotional reaction to receiving the medal. Rush Limbaugh at first seemed to act surprised by the award, which was widely reported hours ago, and is the reason he's in the VIP boss. New York Times, Mary Gay. Can't find the words express my pain. She's the one. Pat uh, Patton Oswalt sneered. I'm a presidential medal of freedom recipient, man. Front me 50 pills. Another article. Sorry, cancer. No one deserves Rush. Those are statements people said. Um, a lefty outlet published an article criticizing Limbaugh for denying that health risk of smoking and summed up his ignorance in a piece Twitter caption Limbaugh denied secondhand smoke danger said smokers take 50 years to catch cancer and the society should thank smokers for tax money upon first reporting Rush devastating diagnosis the same outlet said the loudmouth conservative radio host has got cancer Daily Wire commentator Ryan Savannah tweeted a not-so-flattering paragraph from Washington Post piece on the news. In the blurb, the paper told readers that Limbaugh once accused actor Michael J. Fox of faking Parkinson. The papers also brought up he supposedly was widely rebuked in 2012 for describing a Georgetown lawsuit, Sandra Fluke, as a slut. And we talk about that every podcast. It added these comments sparked a brief advertiser boycott of his program. NBC late night writer, workshop member, theater writer, and comedian Nick Pappas composed the insensitive tweet upon hearing the news. I'm so sorry for lung cancer. No one deserves Rush Limbaugh. I wish him the best medical care he's worked on denying to others. We already got Reza Aslan. We already covered it. Uh, here's the rest of Reza Aslan. Aslan insisted that he wasn't celebrating his diagnosis. I'm not celebrating anyone's diagnosis. I'm posing an important philosophical question. Rush is not my adversary. His curse upon this nation, a purveyor of hatred and racism, who at the very least indirectly responsible for mass suffering of countless people. On the contrary, my choice of word is exactly and critical, which is why I didn't ask about his family and why your response is red herring. Each one of us gets one life and one existential question to answer. Do we make the world better or worse? With almost every minute of Russia's life 
has been spent purposely making the world worse. He's a racist, sexist, greedy, hateful man who has sown fear and violence with every dollar he's made. There's absolutely no question whatsoever that the world is better without him in it. This tweet says more about you than it does about him, people said. You called children punchable because of what you perceived to be their moral failings. You, in fact, were wrong, and now you moralize over who makes the world better. Many blue checks are confusing the Medal of Freedom with the president can give to anyone. Obama gave Ellen DeGeneres, Oprah Winfrey, Michael Jordan, Ted Kennedy, Bill Clinton with a Medal of Honor. Jerry Dunleavy, prominent blue checks and big name politicians not knowing the difference between the Medal of Honor and the Medal of Freedom is some true in my veins content. Disrespect, like giving the Medal of Honor to a man who called the nation's first black president Barack the Magic Negro, his wife in Gorilla Heels. You know who deserves posthumous Medal of Honor? James Earl Ray, the confessed assassin of Martin Luther King. We miss you. Godspeed. These are the comments liberals are doing. Real Donald Trump delivers a State of the Union address, turned mega rally, economic boast, snubs of Pelosi, immigration, and gives a Medal of Honor on TV. See, they don't even know. Men to hail. So the Medal of Honor just don't mean shit anymore. Jonathan Turley. Pelosi Act dishonored the institution and destroyed even the pretense of civility and decorum in the House. If this is the Speaker's drop-the-mic moment, it is a disgrace that should never be celebrated or repeated. And John, Joe Banner responded, what happened to you? The President gave the Medal of Honor. It's the Medal of Freedom, you idiot. Sarah Lee Watson, this is like a fantasy game show now. Behind curtain one, we pop out the veteran returning home and fake promise to bring troops home. Behind curtain two, we surprise a lung cancer suffering racist with a Medal of Honor. Casey Seymour, has a Medal of Honor ever been given at a State of the Union address? I don't think so. I'm not seeing anything that says otherwise. This could be a first. They don't even know. They just don't know. Military, civilian, and to my point. Rush Limbaugh is so fucking hated because he's the first conservative to ever get traction and own the airwaves. That's why in 2012, or excuse me, 2008, he was the focus of a campaign for the media to get Obama elected. That's how they played it. Because in the end, they needed to get him discredited and have everybody own everything he ever said because that's the only way they could find out to make McCain look like a bad guy. Other than he was dead and he you know, wasn't going to live and he was dying instantly. I don't say Rush Limbaugh's a great guy. I've never listened to Rush Limbaugh. But could you say that about Rachel Maddow, Randy Rhodes, Franklin? How about all the people from Air America? Could you do it? Could you do that when they get cancer? Is that okay? I think not. I don't think you could get away with that. That would be inappropriate content. That would be against Twitter's term of service somehow. The things I read online that I didn't put in the show are vulgar. They hope he dies. Slowly. And why? Because he's a man that doesn't think like them, that has actually been ingesting into people's heads a different view. Do I think it's all right? No. Because I don't know all the things he said, because what I hear is usually an exaggeration of what he says. It's not actually the words. It's no different than Trump's 
fucking, we need to stop the murderers and rapists from coming across the border to being construed to all Mexicans are murderers and racists. Something he never said. That's the same thing about Rush. If a lefty heard my podcast and parsed sound bites, they would say I'm a racist piece of fucking shit, fucking homophobe, transphobe, because it has nothing to do with what I really say. It has to do that I don't get on here and say Trump bad, there are no genders, all white people are pieces of shit because of what happened 200 fucking years ago. That's basically the gist. I mean, that's how they play the game. And they even play it when they're caught being racist. Here you have Elizabeth Warren, one of the leading candidates for fucking president, on the left side of the fucking spectrum. They can't keep black people on her staff because she's inconsiderate, doesn't follow all the things they're talking about. It's no different than Obama paying his staff differently for females. There's no different for the caustic environments and everything else. And let's make sure we understand. Barack Hussein Obama gave Weinstein... A medal of freedom. Harvey fucking Weinstein. Trump played you and you played right into it. He did it on purpose, the guy's fucking terminal. He did it on a national stage because Rush Limbaugh has done a lot for conservatism, just like Bill Crystal used to be until he sold out and became a liberal. And he did it just to fucking see what you would do. And you know what you did? You ripped up the goddamn speech, walked the fuck out, didn't show up, said everything was fucking wrong, all lies. You couldn't stand up for fucking preemie babies, a Muskegee Airmen. You couldn't do any of that shit. And do you remember you lie? I was going to play it today. That guy got censured for saying you lie, which, by the way, Obama was lying. But now we can just say it. It's all lies and rip it up. And that's okay for the media. That's okay. Makes total sense. You're allowed to do that because Trump bad. He doesn't represent the country, even though he electorally won. We're still playing everything, from impeachment to Mueller to Kavanaugh. We're playing popular vote. Well, here's the problem, lefties, and then I'll close the show out because it's really long, I know. Most of us in America believe California, Oregon, Washington, New York, New Jersey, your vote shouldn't even count because you're motor voting over 5 million illegal driver's license. Don't know if that number is accurate. But they're millions. It's not one million anymore. Last time I reported, it was 1.2 million in California alone. Those people are voting. Don't tell me they're not, because they are. So why is your vote worth more than people in Tennessee, where I actually have to prove I'm Tony Reed and where I live? And be registered to vote. I just can't walk in on game day. To 85 precincts. Because the DNC trucked me around. And those are all things we've proven on the show. With video evidence. Happening in Austin, Texas. In 2016. 
So you might have the number of people living in your state, but if you really broke down your state, even California, the majority don't buy all your bullshit. That's why they're moving the fuck out. Because you've turned it into a fucking cesspool. It is now a shithole. Yeah. You live in a shithole. So, by the end of this podcast, I say it every podcast, and I hope it hits home. They hate you. They hate everything about you. They will never think you're true Americans, and your opinion on anything matters. Because they live in their little bubble. They're smarter than you. They know what's right for America. And if in 2020, we normals don't go out and vote, they're going to run this country. And they're going to run it like the Iowa caucus. A fucking clusterfuck where all of a sudden you won't be able to criticize the president. You won't be able to fucking demonstrate against the president. You won't have any recourse to get your guns back, your religion back, your baby back. I'm not talking baby back ribs. They're going to start legislating, folks. And their legislation is going to be extreme. It's just not cow farts. The eat the baby lady is something I've read online. They don't believe you should have as many kids as you have. They're like China on that shit. So don't be surprised if they start legislation too. That's it. You have to get an exemption. That's how extreme these people will go. Because it's not about saving the economy or the... uh the, the climate. It's about control. They want to control the company, the country. They want to lead it in a way that's socialist. And if we allow them to get in control of the White House, the Senate, and the House, good night, Irene. Good night, Irene. Obama was bad. These people they make him look like a fucking independent. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please be share this with your family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP Podcast, gmail.com. Get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and PocketCast. Make sure you check out the Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter page at FOP Tony Reed. Our next show will be next Wednesday 12th of February, year of our Lord, 2020. Until then, make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yeahs. I'm sorry about the length, and I promise the next podcast will be more news and social media nugget than it'll be politics, but we had a lot of stuff in here. As always, my friends, thanks for listening, and take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Makes every day count. Thank you.